Cyberpunk delayed yet again. And more on Sony's cross-gen shenanigans. Hello and welcome to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, as always, Senior Saul Bridges. Yes, well, lucky episode. I, I made a thumbnail. I don't remember what the episode number is. What is it? 186. 186. 186. Thank you all for being here with us today. Speaking of the thumbnail, I know that many of you listen to the show. That's the majority of our audience. I understand that. I really want all of you to see the thumbnail this week. I, don't, I will go out of my way. I'll put it on social media. I'll do something. You will see this, and I think you will laugh. It was a good thumbnail. Good thumbnail. Shout out to Saul for having a really fantastic idea. They're, they're far and few between, but <laughs> when they are, they're golden, baby. Hence but, the name of this, this show. <laughs> there we are. Um, if this is your first time joining us, as usual, we always ask that you stick around to the end of the show so that you can find out more of how you can communicate with us, how you can reach out and be part of the community, answer things like the community's takes, of course, and just generally talk with other people of our community. So... Stick around for that, but Saul, starting the show off the right way, have you played much games this week? I have. I uh, played a brand new one yesterday, but we'll get to that in a second. Brand new? Okay. Um, well, brand new to me. It came out, I think it came out this year, I'm not sure. Um, I finished up my near Automata playthrough for and- my Game of the Generation um, contender award or my game of the regeneration award and that is a contender so i replayed through that to get it fresh on my mind then i took a break again for like three days four days um and yesterday i picked up risk of rain two okay which is yeah you've talked about risk of rain one fantastic yeah you would really enjoy risk of rain two i'm I'm not saying i won't i don't know very much about it i didn't either that's one of those games that i went into blonde like i didn't know anything about it you mean the first one no, the second one. Are this, they massively the, different? Yes. The first one is like 2D. The second one is, third, is 3D. Third. It's third the third D. dimension. Yeah, like um, I've never played any of these games. I've not played either of them. So. Um, and, the, and to my knowledge, it's a lot of the same game. Uh, it's just redone. Um, so like Risk of Rain 1... There's randomly generated stuff to this game. Yes, correct? it is. It is a roguelike, and so the 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 way the game starts, roguelike or roguelite, roguelike. Okay. Uh, the way the game starts is it's very similar to games like I don't want to watch a video. It's very similar to uh, games like Enter the Gungeon, where you start out in this world, or Dead Cells. You start in this world, and then you can get these upgrades, these weapons, and then your your task is in one run to get to the final boss. But if you die. You restart back to the beginning. That's still a little bit more of a roguelite from what I understand. And I could clearly be wrong. So if you're a huge fan of that genre and can explain the difference from further, I, thought that's I, feel, a like, I feel like the difference between a roguelike and a roguelite is that a roguelite has a lot of the same elements, but there are some things that move forward to the next playthrough. There, there like are. Like upgrades and stuff there, like that. There are. So that's, I think that's what makes a roguelite a roguelite, that's, is that there is some form of progression that stays throughout the whole game whereas a full-on roguelike from what i understand it completely restarts you at every time and there's nothing that carries forward. well there's something called artifacts mm-hmm. now i don't know what those are but those are something that you can that you can carry over from from save one to save two um and i've not unlocked any yet 
I don't know how to unlock them. It's it's one of those games that like you jump in and there's so many upgrades that you unlock. And the way it's the way it starts is you are crash pl- uh, landed on a planet, and it is your job to go around and kill enemies. And as you kill enemies, you get money, and then with that money, you can then um, unlock caches, which will give you a random um, item, which is of course a random ability of sorts, and. It's just one of those, I can't stand how Google has updated it so that now clicking through to the big picture, instead of making this picture bigger, it goes to the website. So if you right click it and click open image. Yeah, but then I'm opening up one image. Yeah. I'd rather just open up all these images big and just kind of go through them like a gallery. I feel. Um, I don't. I think that's been the way Google's done it for a long time is all I'm saying. So stupid. But um, it's, it's, it's essentially like a third person shooter. And you get you get crash landed on a planet, and then your objective is to go and get off the planet via a teleporter. And you have to find the teleporter, and then when you proc the teleporter to activate, a boss spawns. And then you have to be in this big old circle uh, to fill the teleporter up and kill the boss. Um, you can get out of the circle, then kill the boss, because the bo- some bosses wander, like that one. They'll wander around, and then... Uh, you have to make it back into the circle after the boss is dead. There's still enemies that are kill- that are trying to kill you, and you have to pretty much play capture the flag or not capture the flag, king of the hill with the circle until the teleporter's done, and then it's you go off to another planet. Yeah. Um, the game also has a difficulty mode that you select on, like it's drizzle, chance of rain, and like thunderstorms or something like that. Like there's three difficulties, no monsoon. Uh, so I think it's like drizzle, chance of rain, monsoon is the difficulty, which is th- that icon at the corner up here, this little boss icon. But then you have a time that tells you how long you've been playing, but then as you play the game, it gets harder. It starts it starts at one difficulty and just keeps on going up. That's a cool idea. And, I like that. So uh, that if you take too long, even on the easiest difficulty, it gets very challenging. Yeah, like it goes from like easy, medium, hard, insane, really insane, I'm coming for you, uh, and then it's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Like, it just keeps going through that because it's that hard. Now, my big question for, for things like that is that, you know, games are uh, known for essentially telling you one thing on the front end but doing something different on the back end to make sure that the game continues to be fun for the player. So, like, one great example of that is that one really common thing in games across the board is whenever you get to where your last chunk of health is – and you get hit or something, and you feel like you should have died, but you just got away from it, and you're like, oh, yeah. That's the game actually making your health fall at a lower rate or giving invisible no hits so that you so like a actually mechanic. kind of. It's a hidden mechanic to keep enjoyment up, but eventually if you screw up too much, it's still going to have you fail. Yeah. But it's essentially a fail state saver that's, that tries to, tries to help you stay in the game to help motivation and general fun up because they find that the when they turn that completely off and they go and focus test it, people are like, why is this game so hard? And it starts to be a frustration point to them. Well, I'll tell you, they're open about having that in the form of one mechanic. Oh, in this game? And this should tell you how hard it can get. It's a mechanic to protect you against one-shots. <laughs> <laughs> if you are above 90% health, you cannot be one-shotted. Okay. Or like 96% health, you cannot yeah. be one-shotted. See, stuff like that, which I guess that's not necessarily as much of a hidden mechanic. It's well, just it is because because they, they... Well, I think... The game doesn't ex- expressly say it. Yeah, the People game doesn't say it. it um, and it, until uh, update 1.0, because it was early access, now it has re- it has launched. And I think that is in September of this, so like a month ago. Yeah. Um, I think that's what this box is right here. 
I think that's what tells you that if you were to get one shot from your current health, you will go down to that bar. Okay. You won't be one-shotted. Well, there's uh, a bunch of games that do it, but my, my question there, like another quick example, just because I love it, we were talking, and it's in relation to this as a genre format, but we were talking about uh, Dead Cells. Dead Cells, actually, if you go through and look, there's a ton of systems that go through looking at what you were intending to do, how close you got to it, and, and it decides whether or not it's going to go ahead and do it. Uh, if you play Dead Cells and you look... Oftentimes, you can actually find that your character jumps after you've already come off of the platform, and that if you don't quite make it to the other platform, you'll still go ahead and come up the platform, because they found that players continue to roll through the game and have a lot more fun and have more of a reason no, to play through that's it. that's not like this game. This game is not... Like, this game, I'll tell you right now, I started out well, on... But no- again, these are hidden mechanics. The only reason that I know about them is because there's a video, but go ahead. But th- this game's hard. Like, hard. Like, okay. I started out Do on normal... you think Dead Cells is not hard? Not really, no. Dead Cells was just frustrating because some runs can be good, some runs can be bad. Did this, you ever beat it? Dead Cells? Yeah. No. I got I got bored of it by then. I actually that's what I was gonna say. Actually with a with a very like what I'm going to assume is very lucky run, uh I beat this game yesterday. I beat it the day I got it, which is almost unheard of for any kind of roguelike slash roguelite. By the uh, way, it is roguelite. What I thought was true. What is what is roguelikes it? are strictly permadeath, nothing moves forward. And they're also turn-based and a bunch of other things. They're a very specific genre. Okay, so roguelite. Yeah. Um, but um, the whole thing with this, though, is, is that like this, no matter what, if you are on normal difficulty, it's hard. And it's harder than Dead Cells because Dead Cells is 2D. So Dead Cells can get overwhelming on a left-to-right axis, where this can get overwhelming because there are literally enemies that are fireballs that are shoot a fire from above you, and you yeah. are having to constantly, constantly move. Um and I think this game does a really, really good job of doing that difficulty. Like, even on the easiest difficulty mode, starting out the first time you ever play this game, you, it is a learning curve. A big one. Okay, so going back to my question, I guess, because you you might uh, you might know, you might not. Um, if you start on, like, say that you select an easy difficulty going into the instance, right? Okay. Does that start you at that point on that bar? Or... What do you mean, that bar? That bar, that difficulty bar that shows in game. Oh no, that's that you were talking about. That's that's just another bar. But that's another bar that's per difficulty. So even if you're playing on easy, whatever the easy difficulty is called, then it has its own bar of as it continues to get challenging. And then medium difficulty has its own bar that it continues to increase. And then hard has its. It's own all bar. the same bar. Interesting. Well, the reason I ask is like. If you jump into the game and you set it to easy and it starts in the easy part of that bar and then as you go it gets harder, then that means that there really isn't an easy version of the game because eventually you're going to reach the no, hardest difficulty. No, it tells you in so game. It, that's what I'm saying. It, it's a secondary difficulty that easy has its own bar of easy to no, most that's, difficult. No, that bar, disregard that bar entirely. Okay. Uh, that, it actually tells you in the game what these difficulties modifiers are. Easy, you have more health regeneration and more enemy damage. Ah, and then it scales. So the scaling difficulty is probably... Well, see, but that's still... How do you go into a scaling difficulty that I would imagine is all about more damage output and more damage taken? Is it just that your starting point is different? That's, I mean, just, I, just, I would you, just really like to dig into that mechanic because I find the idea interesting. I just want to know a little bit more about it's how just it's just you do more met. damage and you heal faster. And then you, the next difficulty up is you do that less. And then the ne- the last difficulty, Monsoon, I actually think you lose health faster and you can't, but you can barely regenerate any health. So what does the bar? The bar in the game? Yeah, what does I'm it do? I'm 99% sure that is relative to enemy spawns and how many enemies will spawn in different varieties of enemies. Okay, yeah, see, that would make sense and not completely detract from the initial 
yes. Like, like in reality, that does make the difficulty harder as yeah. that bar goes up, but it doesn't make the difficulty harder because of a mechanic. It just makes it harder because more enemies are on. Yeah, sure. On, or in the, in the but level. your baseline damage and damage output and damage All that input stays the same. Yeah, depending yeah. on your first difficulty you selected. Yeah. Um, so that's more of like the longer you play this game and the longer it takes you to beat the core game, then the harder and harder it's going to get. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy the game. Like, it's a multiplayer game, so you can play with friends. And I've been playing and, like, kind of unlocking characters as I go. Um, what I like about this game is it doesn't really tell you how to unlock certain characters. Uh, on the on your character screen, there, there's, like, ten characters. They're all grayed out. But they tell you, like, complete this, complete that. Uh, and there are, some of them are very vague. Like, um, free this prisoner or whatever it was for the um, artificer. And I'm like, okay, what is that mean and whenever you beat the, whenever you beat a, a level you can go through the teleporter but there's a chance that a portal will spawn and you can go in that portal and it goes to a side thing which is interesting in itself because it's a random encounter of what of that area you'll go to sometimes you'll go to an area with a big old obelisk and if you use the obelisk you die and you restart your run okay but coincidentally enough that's how you unlock a character um so you have to end your run to get a new character which is the character I really want, and I haven't been able to. I've, I've seen an obelisk once, and I did not want to end my run because I thought it was good. Yeah, and I didn't know that's how you unlock that character until I read the character description was like using the obelisk of torment, and I'm like, well, I could have used it, got this character, and died. That sounds a lot like obelisk, obelisk of the, the tormentor. tormentor. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that was the purpose because there is a boss in this mm-hmm. game that looks just like a Destiny servitor. Interesting. Like, like this game is very much like uh, a bunch of we like these things, so we use it as. Inspiration. Uh, yeah, like there's there's definitely like that. This right here, this warlock, that's what the artificer looks like. Like exactly. This right uh well, I'll say if you if I could find it, I'm surprised. See, you can see it right there. Looks just like the warlock. Interesting. Uh also looks like RuneScape to an extent. <laughs> oh, does it? Some of the art yeah, some of the uh mage robes and stuff in RuneScape. But it's like Enter the Gungeon, <laughs> where Enter the Gungeon had a lot of little Easter eggs. Yeah, and, and hidden stuff. Um, Certainly did. Yeah, and I don't know why I can't find this, but I've been having a really fun time with it. Um, well, thanks for tuning in to our Triangle Squared uh, Risk of Rain two impressions. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but that's cool. Uh, so that that was the last thing you played, though. Yes, that was, I played that yesterday, and I played some of it this morning. Okay, cool. On your near playthrough, did you go through the entire game again, or did you just stop at the end of the first run? I went through all the cannon stuff. Gotcha. And I did a couple things that I didn't, I never did in the first time around, or at least I don't remember. Like Side eat, content, like eating the mackerel and yeah. dying and getting ending K. Yeah, I think. Yep. And then I had it on hard difficulty at the very beginning, and then I died in the very intro, and I got the ending W because I died. Yeah. So yeah, y'all play that game. The game's great. That game is great. Can't wait for the for the replicant. It's not a remake. I have to kind of pull myself. It's kind of a remake. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The new version. It just sounds dumb to say that. Um, I played. Arkham Knight all week, <laughs> all week with no, nothing else. Um, I don't know why. It, they, you know, I will say last week I was still pretty early into it, so I had mentioned that I wondered how you know how good the game would live without coming into it with the weird expectation and knowing that this is like the game has the Batmobile and everything. It is. I find that I think I'm enjoying it better than I did the first time around. Even though I loved it the first time around, it was still with this air of disappointment. Whereas this time, since I'm coming in with the knowledge that the Batmobile's there and that I know what it does, it just feels more like, oh, it's really great, and that's also just a part of it. Instead of the surprise element that I had the first time of, oh, it's in here a little more than I wish. So yeah. 
while I still think it's in there a little more than I wish it, or at least that it would have had more mechanics that, you know, to tie into everything. But still, I think that from the normal use of like puzzle solving and stuff that you get out of it, it makes sense that it's the Batmobile on some level is just a new gadget instead of being like, of course there's parts of the game where it has to be your like mode for combat, of course, but 90% of the time, you know, you can always just activate the Batmobile remote. And if you're smart enough, a lot of encounters can be, you can find a way to bring the Batmobile in to help with the encounter. Yeah. Remotely. I, rem- I actually remember that, where yeah. you have that choice in some instances. Yeah, which is really cool. And I, I like that. It, and it's on your gadget wheel. You don't have to do anything crazy to do it. So uh, I really have been enjoying that. And I am still not quite done with it. I'm about 95% through the main story. I do like that the uh, little wheel they added I talked about last week, where all of the side content is on a wheel that you have to select and it gets blocked out due to progression. Yeah. The one thing I do like about that is you can see where you're, how far along you are and everything so that if you feel like, oh, the next one's the last one and I'm really wanting to clear this up and see what it is, then you can do that. Uh, and unlike Arkham City on PS3 when it first came out, I did everything short of getting all the Riddler trophies because those were just annoying, so I don't have the platinum for it, but I could have. Um, that is annoying. But I did everything in that game besides that and uh, really loved it. The, the true ending, too. I, I didn't do it here, and that was one of the things is I don't know if it was disappointment or if something else came out. It's been so long that it's hard to remember. I think that was a 2015 game. So when you think about it in that sense, no, it's 2014. I thought it might have been. I'm honestly trying to remember. <laughs> uh, I don't. I think it was 2015 because Arkham Origins was 2013, and they were. It was two years after Origins, and two and Ar- yep. Origins was two years after City. It might have been. It might. It might have been so early in 20. I think yeah, it was 2015. Se- June. June. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So yeah, 2015 game. I don't quite remember why, but I have a feeling some of it was the initial shock disappointment with the game not as a whole because you know some of it was that i knew and was able to very easily guess before the game ever even reached my playstation on day one what the twist of who the arkham knight was going to be was so there was a lot of things that added up to it felt like i knew some of the game and then the parts i didn't know were like the batmobile but as a standalone thing and just seeing what they've done with the story there's small nods that i've noticed more too and I love it. Like as you go through the game more and more and the fear toxin is taking you over more and more. I mentioned last week that there's billboards and stuff around the world that you can just see and will randomly turn into a Joker-fied version of it. Yeah. And there's completely different art. That happens more and more as you continue to reach the end of the game to where almost every time that you approach a billboard, it's Joker-fied. And you start to see the Joker in all sorts of places around the city just sitting on bridges and stuff as he's taking more and more of your mind over. I remember it to an extent, but noticing more and more of it, and, and since I'm doing more side content, therefore exploring more of the world, it's a nice... It's weird. It's like a natural progressive. Like you know where you're at because of that alone. Like I've known that I'm getting closer and closer to the end as I'm seeing more and more of the Joker, and he has more and more diatribes that he goes off on. And it's just it's cool. I like it. And it adds a there's a lot of lines that I realized I completely missed from the Joker by not doing the side content. And even though I wish that the Joker wouldn't have ended up being the focus of this game since he was so much of a focal point of Arkham City, um, I still ended up loving it because he's a great focal point. So it's okay. Is it is it um is it Arkham Knight or Arkham City where it had the scarecrow thing with his parents? What do you mean? Like um you unzip the body bags and his parents are in the body bags. Which which one was that one? Do you remember? I think I, it's this game at the very end. Is it? I think so. Cuz I don't see I don't remember being at the end of the game. 
I'm trying to remember because I remember the scarecrow. It's like you're walking down a hallway, and like the walls start crumbling, and there's roaches everywhere. And is that the like, first? Is that the first game? Is that Asylum Scarecrow Encounter? Is it's it? Been, it's been long enough since I've played it. I remember that the Scarecrow Encounter in Asylum ends up turning into where the scarecrow's giant, and you're having to swing around buildings that are like in a gas field space, and you're having to get his presence to alert him, and essentially. I, I liked it. It was a cool setup, but yeah, the the scarecrow's like giant. Yeah, I don't think scarecrow's in city. I think that you see bits of him, like the you can find a boat that's got uh, plans and stuff on it. And I think Asriel kind of hints at it with the whole order of the what is it Saint Dumas or whatever. Which Asriel, I, I was really, so. I was I was glad to see that Asriel was they set up and Knight ends up coming back here. A lot of what they set up with Knight comes back here. Hush comes back. And that was a really cool part yeah, of Arkham City. Yeah, I forgot City. about Hush. So, yeah, I, I, it's great. I guess it's one of those things where you know for a long time, even though I liked Origins, I mean, it's still the worst of the three, but that's not a bad thing. It's still a good game to me. But you, I'm never, I don't know anybody who doesn't view it as the Arkham Trilogy. It's never, like, Origins ends up kind of being pushed off because it's like, well, you exist, and maybe you were fun, and maybe you had some interesting ideas, but ultimately, the three games that were one idea continued continued into each other was the Asylum City and then Night. I never played it. Yeah. All thing that's weird about the Arkham Knight is, like, why name it that when the Arkham Knight is still not even, like, the primary antagonist? I think it was just... Arkham Knight clearly rolls off the tongue a lot better, and it had Arkham in the name, so they were able to keep this Arkham. Well, Arkham Knight to- is also a popular like uh, story arc in Batman. Yeah, and it's a play on that with it. Yeah, because I don't think that, I don't think that refers to a character in the in the in the comics. I don't think it does either, but that's okay. It is what it is. But uh, yeah, that's what I've played, and I intend when I get done with it, I'm, I'm debating what I want to do. I'm. I don't know if I'm going to just wait for PS5 at that point and just work on getting the platinum here. I'm torn. Yeah, um, I wouldn't get the platinum in that game. I mean, I feel bad that I don't have the platinum in any of them because I do think they're fantastic games. Yeah, but you don't have to get a platinum for it to be fantastic. No, you don't have to. But I just feel like it's my own personal way. It's like that's why I get platinums normally. It's because I love the game. And you it's mean, like you, mean, you don't want to press X ten thousand times for a dollar ninety nine. Nope, because I don't love that game. Or do it again. And My Name is Mayo 2. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to talk about that sequel. The critically acclaimed sequel. I did mention, we brought that up, uh, Liam had posted over on Twitter, and I think it would be so amazing if after My Name is Mayo 1, that with My Name is Mayo 2, they it's start like an off, actual, like, platform and or you, you think it's going to be more tapping the lid, but you do it a couple times, and then it starts to be like this emotional journey with this Mayo jar. No, like watch it be like an Eldritch Horror style game. Like you start tapping the lid, and you start going insane, and start questioning the, the Eldritch truth. And you go to check your numbers and stuff, and they're constantly changing every time. You're like, how many times have I tapped? Yeah. And then it gets to a point where as you get further in, the numbers start looking like weird eldritch symbols. See, that'd be cool. Either way, I just think it would be so funny to subvert expectations by making a game that completely goes over. You're like, okay, I'm just going to tap on the jar some more. And then suddenly it's a game where either it's a horror game or it has some new element that's small, but it may be like a, I mean, I'm just thinking like Five Nights at Freddy is that even though I don't care for those games, it's a simple idea. You could do something like that. But I would love for it to subvert expectations completely and be something completely different. If I end up, if I end up with My Name is Mayo 2 and a Platinum in it, you know something has gone on. Something has happened. It's a good game at that point. I'm kidding. It doesn't have to be a good game, I guess, to get a platinum. But anyway, 
that's all I've done. We're going to go ahead and move on into the community's take, which was a simple one this week. We got to talking about Guitar Hero, which apparently everyone has very fond memories of because this got a lot of feedback. Um, asked very simple, and I wish I would have worded the question a little differently because <clears throat> it led us to what's your favorite rhythm game. And as someone who clearly knows that the rhythm games are more than just the three that I listed, um, I wish I would have put another title like one of, like Dance Dance Revolution or one of the Persona dancing games or even something that's like other rhythm games that come out like technically Rayman Legends in a lot of ways as a rhythm platformer. Um, part of the reason I didn't care for it because I thought that the idea of Origins was so good. But simple question. Were you gaming during the height of rhythm games? And if, even if you weren't, there are plenty of rhythm games that came before. If so, what was your favorite? Because our hero rock band, something more obscure like DJ Hero or any of the other ones I've listed. And let us know below. Over on our Discord, one of our patrons, Mr. Shafedog, says, I was gaming at the height of the rhythm-based games, but I suffer from finger Tourette syndrome, which I, until today, did not realize that you could have Tourette's localized in specific sections. But it makes sense because I've known someone with Tourette's and it really only affected their face. Yeah. So, interesting. He says, my ability to play rhythm-based games has always been extremely hampered. And to that, I apologize. That's unfortunate. It is. Yeah. Um, you may want to try out like Dance Dance Revolution if you, have, if you like rhythm games. Yeah. Or, or like ones that are more based around feet. Uh, you know, one thing I'd, I'd wonder is if your fingers are the problem. Do you have enough control over them to hold something like a drumstick? Because maybe the drums on something like Rock Band would offer you enough or control. Or Beat Saber. If, if you, like, something where you I have would, more control to grip around it. I would assume, and let me know, Shape Dog, but I would assume that if, if you can hold a DualShock, you could hold a VR controller pretty well, right? Hopefully, yeah. Let me know. If so, check out Beat Saber. I've never played it on PlayStation VR, but it's... I've never played it at all, but it looks really fun. <laughs> I like, oh, wait, never mind. I've never played it at all. Yeah, I've never played it at all, but it looks really fun. I'm going to go grab one off of Facebook real quick, and then I'll let Saul grab some of the other ones, since he does not have a Facebook. Always remember that. Nope, if you nope. are talking in the group on Facebook, don't expect to hear from Saul. And you shouldn't have a Facebook either. <laughs> uh, answering into one of these things that I actually am really grateful that someone did, uh, Mr. Kiki, one of our other patrons, he says, Kitaru Man, which is a PS2 game, that I have never played, but I've seen so many people rant and rave about, and it makes me almost want to play it. So maybe I should. And I think that there's a game from the people who made Guitar Guitaru Man coming to PS4, a new rhythm game. What is? Oh, like I said, it's a. It looks like One Piece, kind of, but it also looks like One Piece meets Beautiful Joe. Yes, meets a rhythm game. It's a Capcom. No, it's Koei Tecmo. So and TXQ. Weird. Yeah, it looks super cool though. And oh, that explains why. Because why it was on PSP. It was on PSP, yeah. yeah. And I think it was a sequel or a remake one uh, where a lot of the PSP games were like remakes of It games. is a port of the game. Yeah, for PSP. So not a remake, but port. There you go. Um, but going back up, Chad Van Horn says, I played most of the Guitar Hero and Rock Band games. However, the Persona Rhythm games are the best ones to me. And again, I'm glad that people are thinking outside of the box of what a rhythm game is because it's any game that kind of has you going through. And actually, not that I expect to see it because all of the games, I think, were able to do this. Um, play with a controller, even like the Rock Band and Guitar Hero games. But one of my ones that I actually have a lot of great memories with even though it's not my favorite, I just thought it was really cool use of it, was Rock Band Unplugged on PSP. The whole thing you had to play with a the controller. They didn't try and do... Do you remember Guitar Hero DS? 
Yes. And it had the thing you had to slide you into the it? cartridge. No, because it, it looked terrible. It wasn't bad. That's the sad part. It actually <laughs> was pretty good. Didn't you have to good. swipe on the touchscreen while you hit the buttons? I want to say like you, a pick? You, you had to either do that or you could actually uh, do left and right on D-pad. So that's I never well, owned it, maybe, but I played The way it. you had to like hold it. It was very odd. It was one of those things which I do like these ideas. We've seen them on Vita too, where you take the device and you change the orientation to play the game. So the game actually renders sideways. That was, that was the entire gimmick of that learning game on DS. Brain Age? Yes, where you held it like a book and everything was like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, because of the dual screen. Yeah. Are you- I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> well, nobody wants to hear us all do that. So I'm going to take another one real quick. And... Uh, Blake over on Facebook, and I think he actually went further on uh, either, I think it was Twitter. He says Guitar Hero 3 is the best guitar-based rhythm game. And he also mentions that Guitar Hero 2 was really good, but that Guitar Hero 1 and 2 were both when they were still fairly small, so they used a lot of cover bands, which is true. But I'll give him a shout-out for this. Most of the absolute best songs on Guitar Hero 2, which are there are plenty, uh, were not cover bands, thankfully. And a lot of the... Um, bonus tracks, which is where I think that game really shined, was bonus tracks uh, were from the original artists like Killswitch. Um, uh, no, it wasn't Killswitch on that one. It was uh, All That Remains, Six, Fantastic. Of course, Buckethead's Jordan, one of the most challenging songs, but also one of the coolest songs that it was a bragging right that I've got to be able to say that you five gold starred it, completely played through <laughs> expert on uh, Jordan without missing a single note. That's Impulse a by Endless Sporadic as well. Also, dude, there's a ton of really good songs on. Uh, you know, one of the things I really loved about the Guitar Hero games uh, and even going forward, the Rock Band games, was the idea of it uh, being able to introduce people to very small bands that people on the people on the dev group just happen to like. One of the bands that I really liked that would constantly come up throughout all the games was Anarchy Club. Yeah, they're uh, they're fantastic. What was the song of theirs in two? Or maybe it was three. It was like one of the first ten songs you unlocked. See, I, I'm trying to because Rock Band had some as well, and they were they were almost always relegated to bonus tracks. I don't think I I, I never really played Rock Band except for three, and I had the drum set, and the drum set was really fun on those. Yeah. Um, Anarchy Club. I didn't realize it was only two people. I've listened to plenty of their stuff, but I've never realized that it was only two people. Huh. Uh, while you look that up, I'll hit up our boy Cypher Primus on Discord. He says, I remember getting Rock Band 2 and a couple of instruments so I can play with family and friends when they come over. I even bought a bunch of Disturbed tracks. I did too, actually, on <clears throat> the Rock Band on 360. The only problem I had with Rock Band was that it wasn't as fun playing by yourself, so my interest tapered off a little. Then I tried DJ Hero 2 a couple mu- or a couple years later. It was probably my favorite of the two, but again, after a while, my interest faded. Um. Yeah, DJ Hero is actually an outlier to me because it's such a good rhythm game, but such an odd peripheral that you had to like get used to. Um, but once you got used to it, it was super fun if you enjoy DJ style music like that because they had a bunch of cool remixes and stuff. Um, Rock Band, I think, I think Guitar Hero Three is my favorite rhythm game, and then Rock Band Two or Three, whatever, whichever one I had, was my second favorite just because of the drums. Yeah, like getting like getting to one hundred percent Foo Fighters. Uh, uh, Everlong? At, no, 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 no. I was never that good. Um, <laughs> what was it? It was Foo Fighters. I'm trying to think of what. It song might have been the Pretender. Well, it was. It was it, they, you could buy like you could buy almost extra every song songs. Yeah. yeah, it was the one I did that for. Um, I think it was the Pretender. I could extra one hundred percent on expert on drums. 
uh, Everlong, I could barely play that song on. I hard, still, on I still have my drums in there. I'm telling you. It's so fun. It's so good. I, I absolutely love the drums in those games. They're fun. By the way, Collide, which is what I was going to say earlier, is the is the song from Guitar Two. And then the other two, which I was right on, were Rock Band and Rock Band Two, uh, which was Blood Doll and Get Clean, which are also both really good songs. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of really small bands. And I think that that was the fun thing about that era of rhythm games is that it brought a lot of people into that style of music who never played it. It gave a new appreciation for like classic rock that I think was fading out prior to that when people started playing guitar here and being like who's this ozzy osbourne fellow who <laughs> people who were young <laughs> we'll get into that here in a second um awesome dave elite on discord he's one said, of our new community members thank yes. you sir for coming hey, in and talking coming with us. in and interacting with us from the get-go we love it um he said i started with guitar here but i have a lot more fun with rock band i remember every friday night after work we would get the band together for a few hours to jam with rock band too man for a while there it was when i i didn't play rock band when it came out or anything like that, I had the drum set that I'm talking that I was talking about with Foo Fighters, literally over at my one of my friends' houses. I'm not really friends with anymore. We would go over after work and like literally we would have two people on guitar and then me on drums and it was super fun every. Well, time you had we guitar did. and bass, right? Yeah, I think what was weird about those games, or no, you could pick rhythm or lead, couldn't you? In rock band, I don't think you could. Maybe later. I, I hope I'm not lying. Or maybe it was a band hero thing. It might have been Band Hero because Band Hero was the Guitar Hero team's eventual lead into like a full-on thing. Yeah, um, but me, Gavin, and Casey would get over there like was, rock out. Was Band Hero the one that supported the keyboard? Because there was one that had piano. No, that was Rock Band 3. Are you, are you sure? Yeah, Rock Band uh, 3 had piano. Either way, I was just about to get into that. Those games, if they didn't, they missed an opportunity to let you choose lead or rhythm guitar. But, um, yeah. Yeah. There was the, the height of just absolutely... You know what else was cool about Rock Band? Or about the competition between those two? Was what it gave for things like the uh, the drums. Because you had Guitar Hero that came out with the first drum set with cymbals. And then Rock Band came out with cymbals that you could wait, buy you had, and add on into your drum kit. Rock Band had uh, cymbals before... Oh, wait, yeah, you're Guitar right. Guitar Hero did. Right, right. I got it mixed Guitar up. Guitar Hero, what was it? Four was, was four the first one with all instruments, or was four still just guitar? I don't think Guitar Hero 4 was a thing, was it? Yeah, it was. Guitar Hero 5, I have them in there on PS3. I debate playing them often because they're very fun, but I can't find my guitar anywhere, which saddens me. It's the one you let me borrow. Guitar Hero World Tour. You have the guitar? You let me borrow it. I told you. That. I have. Dude, I told Hannah. I was like, I know I let someone borrow it, but I need it. It's, yeah, it's like in my apartment in the corner of my part in my game room. Please, please return it. All right, no, that's the Rock Band controller. It's the Rock Band guitar, but it works for Guitar Hero. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hated the Rock Band guitar. It, that's what I was about to get into. I remember that between Rock Band and Guitar Hero, the big argument was which had the better guitar, and then which one played like which one's guitar sections made more sense and played better. And there was always the plus and negatives of each one, right? Yeah, there was. What rock, I loved about the rock band was the better one. Uh, see, I think that the actual mechanics and how snappy everything felt, gameplay-wise, gu- uh, Guitar Hero had better mechanics. But they had been doing it for so long that I think it made sense Gu- that that would be the case. Guitar Hero had better mechanics. Rock Band was more accurate to the music. But I think the thing about Rock Bands too was that it introduced the idea of having the fret buttons down at the bottom that match the colors so that you could go up and play higher. That was cool, yeah. Uh, and then I also love the idea of the solo sections and songs in the rock band thing where, again, if you like know that. what you're doing, you can make something that sounds good. If you, you, you don't, it just no, sounds nobody, stupid. Like, it sounds terrible. 10% of people who play that game knew what they were doing. 
The, my absolute fra- favorite thing was always on drums because on the drums, every drum just coordinated to what it was. Typically, you'd have your snare on the red and you'd have – I'm sorry, you'd have your snare on the yellow and you'd have your hi-hat on the red so that it would be like playing cro- – you know, like normal cross-handed, which is not how I actually play drums. But um, it's, not, it's not how I play rock band drums either. But <laughs> uh, I like the idea of – all you had to do is learn what each one did, whereas guitar is having to – make notes that are in the right key for the song, but even then you'd be playing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. It's a sound bad, but on drums, it's just, if you understand how a drum beat is built, then you can make a really cool drum solo in the rock band drum solo section. Yeah. I just stayed quiet during all those solos. Be like solo section. <laughs> no, I just didn't do anything. That was like my time to let my calves rest. Um, man, see the double bass kick, uh, like pedal was also awesome. Uh, the snow Jedi over our discord, uh, one of our good patron buddies, he says, Guitar 3, playing one by Metallica or Knights of Sandonia by Muse. Two fantastic tracks. Two hard tracks, too, on Expert. Well, one builds up to it being hard. Knights of Sandonia kind of just starts out being annoyingly hard. That's true. Yeah. Which I, I mean, the fun thing about those games is, and I think, actually, yeah, over here on Facebook, Jeff Roberts says, I was just talking to my wife last weekend. Guitar Hero was by far the most amazing. Games like this need to come back. They took a certain skill that other games don't quite require nowadays. I quite miss this. I will say Beat Saber comes very close. And I, I mentioned, just like you did, I've only heard great things about Beat Saber. <laughs> I've never played it. I just wish that the PS version, which I know it won't ever be, but it always would let you have source and you could have any, any track you wanted created by any person. That'd be pretty cool. Certainly would be cool. It's just one of those things I understand. It's hard to get done. But I do like that idea of, I think Guitar Hero is one of those things where a lot of people got into the idea of scaling level-based things. Because like, think about it this way. If you play Guitar Hero or if you play Rock Band and you can st- you start playing and you find what you have the most basic sense to get. Like some people would start on medium. A lot of people start on easy just to get the hand rhythm down because if you've never played a ri- an instrument, you don't quite understand having. Well, those games inherently like have a high learning curve, even on easy. They do. Uh, but, you know, the thing I noticed is that almost everyone that I've ever talked to that's played them, it was never, oh, I just played on my difficulty and was content with it. No. Those games, they were made for replayability because it was hearing favorite songs and then the challenge that came with it whereas if you play a game like um arkham let's use arkham knight as an example arkham knight has an easy mode if you are not good enough to play on medium you typically just play through the whole game on easy and then that's your playthrough and you're done and you don't ever go back and replay on medium to try and get better at the game and rarely will you go to play it again on a different difficulty yeah like i've done that in games because i if i really like the game i'm like oh you know what maybe hard is like the ideal way to go with this game which actually right now on arkham knight i'm playing the game on hard yeah uh, because it feels right with the mechanics of the fighting that uh, free flow combat has this thing where if you're really intact with the rhythm, it's not hard. It just requires you to be on top of stuff. But on these games, I like that people would play on easy. They'd reach that threshold, and then they'd go, I think I can do medium. I don't and then think, medium would destroy them, but they'd get better at it. I don't think that I know anybody, and if you, if you say this, you're lying, but they started these games on medium that had never played a rhythm-based guitar game before. I started on medium. You're lying. I'm not lying. You're lying. I started on medium. Uh, I, I don't think I ever had to play a song on easy, actually. No. Like, I remember... Uh, I, no, there was. Because um, I played Guitar Hero 1 first, and Guitar Hero 1 was admittedly easier than Guitar Hero uh, 2. See, I went, I went immediately into Guitar Hero 2. Yeah. Guitar Hero 2 is where I got super big into it. Guitar Hero 1 had some 41 on it, didn't it? Fat Lip, yes. Yeah. Okay, so they did... Wait, that. no, that was Guitar Hero 1. That's what I just said. Okay, sorry. 
But you said you jumped into two, so I was making sure. But yes. Yes, I'll just, I'm just i clarifying. Um, yeah. Speaking of the gifts are here on the DS, Rude Days 93 says, So I never really tried rhythm games besides one, and it was a terrible experience. <laughs> Be- being a dumb young kid, I didn't know any better. I played the Guitar Hero DS uh, version, and I'm pretty sure my wrist still broke from playing it. <laughs> the strap was too tight. Had an awkward uh, angle you had to hold it at, and half the buttons didn't work. I would say it's the worst spending decision I ever made. By the way, maybe that could be a future community's take. Worst spending decision you ever made in gaming. Maybe that's today's. That's Yeah, that might be today's. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, did you get it used? Because <laughs> like, I, I, I We never, had so many used copies when I worked at GameStop. I never owned it, and yes, I do remember there being like a bucket. Like, you, in, the, like in the DS, it just <laughs> nothing but like a cabinet full of those. Um, yeah. But... um. I don't remember whose it was that I had, but like somebody let me borrow it and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. Like it was fun. It was like WarioWare. You play WarioWare for like an hour and you're like, this is really fun, but it's really repetitive kind of thing. Yeah. Guitar Hero DS was like, this was really fun. I don't really want to play this again. Wasn't it only three buttons or four? It was four. But I know, I know it wasn't the normal five. It's been so long since I've looked at it, which you know, that's an interesting thing about what killed these games too. I want to say, peripherals. Had, I want to say it didn't have the orange button. Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, peripherals are one of the things that killed this, these types of games. But more importantly, the used market had such a hard time supporting these because the problem that you came into is that if people started trading in these guitars, you had to have the space. And the guitars were one thing. Once the whole band came in, where are you going to put 20 drum sets? There yeah. was a point in time when I worked at GameStop that we had to legitimately turn down instruments because we had nowhere to put them yeah we had to say you can call the other the other game stops in town and see if they have room for it otherwise you're just gonna have to deal with it on your own and the irony of it is i feel like at this day and age it's actually getting incredibly hard to find rock band instruments now oh no like i was saying that last episode because of clone hero and solely because of clone hero to buy an xbox 360 wired xbox uh guitar controller because they work with computer it's like 150 dollars on amazon it's so crazy but it's just how it is. <laughs> you know what I always would wonder? I don't know if you remember that this was a thing, but the PS2 had a, and it worked with PS3 as long as I bring this up. The PS2 had a, PS3 rather, had a PS2 to USB adapter. These have gone down. So it, could you reasonably hook up one of the PS2 Guitar Hero SGs to that USB, I tried, to USB connector? I tried that. I actually bought a, actually I think you were the one that told me to try that. Oh, did I? Yeah. But I was like, because I knew it was a thing. No, I bought. I specifically bought the uh, PS2 to PS or USB connector thing, and it didn't. It didn't read it. That's how you would do some of the guitar stuff for um, the PS3 version. If you brought, if you wanted to bring the guitar up, you could. One hundred and sixty, one hundred sixty-seven dollars for Guitar Hero. Uh, it looks like Aerosmith four and three. That's not bad. World Tour. Yeah, World Tour was the first one with the full band. No, Guitar Hero two, three, and World Tour. Yeah. So three comes in here, and I want to bring it up because a lot of people have brought up Guitar Hero three, playing one by Metallica or Knights of Sidonia by Muse. Even though is Guitar Hero three the one that introduced one? For some reason, I swore that was Guitar Hero two. Well, that's it. Was like um, download. I don't think there was any Metallica on two, was there? Well, Guitar Hero got their or Metallica got their entire Guitar Hero game, but eventually, so well, I could I be mean. mixing those up. That's what I mean. Like there but, was there was no Metallica on Guitar Hero two. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been so long that it really is hard to say. Um, I, even though I still have them all. But a lot of people mention Guitar Hero 3 specifically, which I do think comes to this thing of Guitar was, Hero 3 was the epitome of the Guitar Hero series. I think it was also when it was the most popular to play. 
Yeah. And it was the first time they went completely wireless with controllers, which was a big deal for a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, there was a lot that came up with that. But, you know, I think I want to end it off on this. Uh, Guitar Hero 3's real fun thing was that it was the first time that they had really gone about introducing the idea of a deeper gameplay mechanic that made it more game-like. Because, of course, the natural thing is a game, but that's it. You're, it's just the mechanics of hitting the notes on time and then star power and wanting to build up to star power to get more points. That in and of itself is plenty of a gamey system. But Yeah, like, I, what's weird is that was meant to be the motivator, but I think getting better... Was like the, the main natural motivator. motivator. Yeah. yeah, like I think that, like I will, I will distinctly remember sitting there, and I guess it was Guitar Hero Two. It might have been three. Um, that had Sweet Child of Mine. That's two, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it was two. Uh, and I distinctly remember on Expert, it's like it, it goes crazy compared to what you're used to on on other songs because it's like it goes yellow orange green orange yellow orange green blue and it does like weird it's, it's changes. the stretch from the furthest example I, I never, that a I, lot of people were not good I, yeah, at. I never had that problem um because yeah. once i realized that all i had to do was like this and i just had to get well, consistent and again timing it. what would get a lot of people is the last two fingers because if you're having to play one four and five a lot it's of people about, had a hard time playing about green yellow orange yeah no that wasn't my problem my problem was yellow blue together i oh. could not get yellow or no i'm sorry red blue I could not get that weird split down. <laughs> I'd always end up hitting yellow by an accident or orange by an accident. It, that, that was my biggest learning curve. Yeah. Um, but thank you, everybody, for the, the great talk. Well, the last thing I was going to bring up is the, specifically the boss battles of 3. I think that that's why oh, 3 looms yeah. so large in everybody's fight, uh, hearts because you had the idea of fighting and going a, you know, challenging a guitar player, and there was real guitar players coming in and doing mocap and everything, so you get to like really battle Tom Morello, essentially. That's but true. The other th- part that was fun about that is that the boss battles introduced a lot of mechanics into it, which are like this idea of this man sent a, a book. But <laughs> the idea that you had to like deal, you had to have repercussions, right? You could have it to where you could flip the enemy if you earned, and again, that made you want to play better. You'd earn power ups that you could use against people, and it just made it really fun. And then being able to flip notes around, and then they could flip notes around on you, and suddenly you had to play in reverse. Really fun. Had a friend that could. Which one was it? Was it Devin or was it one of my friends who was just really good? It might have been Nick. Could play normal, and then whenever the flip things happen, they would literally just flip the guitar to the other hand and just play left-handed. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but cool. No, I think I tried that once. I, I tried it I once it. and failed miserably. So I was like, I'll just deal with playing them in reverse order. It'd be fine. <laughs> so thanks for the community state, guys. Uh, gonna go ahead and head into the news. The news this week uh, is pretty interesting. There's not a lot, but the stuff that is there is. Uh, some of it surprising, some of it not so much. First thing is after many delays, some backlash over crunch and even going gold, it seems that CD Projekt Red have found a way to keep the joke going by delaying Cyberpunk 2077 by an additional 21 days, setting the new date at December 10th. In regards to the question of how they've gone gold but are delaying the state, uh, they state, quote, going gold means the game is ready, can be completed, and has all content in it, but it doesn't mean we stop working on it and raising the quality bar. On the contrary, this is the time where many improvements are made, which will then be distributed via a day zero patch. That's my biggest. This is the time period we undercalculated, end quote. This is my biggest problem with this delay. This specific one, there's two big problems I have with this. Yeah. And, I, and we've gone on record before about not having problems with delays. This is, here's two of my problems. One... They said specifically no more delays. Um, two, 
that's not what go gone gold mean gone gold is ready to be shipped out it's and like you are ready to be pressed ready to, to be disc. pressed yeah. we cannot let them set an example that going gold and then a delay is okay that is the big issue i have with this yeah. is that that going gold when you post a twitter and everybody's holding up the copy of the game disc and everybody's happy we went gold there should never be a delay after that that should be it it should be said and done and I think the problem with this is this is something we saw throughout this generation. So it's not like the precedent hasn't been there, but this is the first time a company has gone gold and then delayed because they said that the game's not quite good enough. Now, I'll, I'll give a little more information, then I'll do that, just because I find it interesting. Uh, earlier in their po- post, they cite the challenges releasing on every platform si- simultaneously are bringing, and they state that it's a next-gen game and they're having problems getting it running on current-gen, which is what people have been saying for a long time. Yeah. So no surprise. Um, but... That makes me think that while these versions are there and they're complete, as they want to say, that makes me imagine that the disc, ver- the, the disc-based version of the game will not be smooth. And so, essentially, don't buy this uh, if you are one of the people that relies on the game on disc being good because you have bad internet or just don't like having to, your, your internet's slow enough that you have a hard time downloading an entire game. Um, you may want to skip out on this game for a while because it sounds to me that the disc-based version is not going to be stable. But let's just see. Their other reason and their primary reason they stated it is this that they're is aiming problem. for a 90-plus on Metacritic. So they've decided to delay the game so that the Day Zero patch, which I'm assuming means Day Zero for when reviews start, when they send codes out to gaming journalists right. instead of Day One because Day One implies for the consumers. Right. This is another problem I have with this. There's two. There's actually three more additional problems I have with this, this being one of them. Why are you delaying a game off of your main issue being review scores like shouldn't it be because something's truly not done like but you're gonna review like it's not that oh we wanted to fix this problem this problem this problem it's oh let's delay this because of metacritic and well there's part a b or one a i mean are you talking about like critic metacritic or are you talking about the user metacritic because that's another big thing there this is critic i know absolutely with with this 90 this goes into that long running thing of where you metacritic metacritic is a a trash website anyways Uh, games get review bombed on there constantly you saw it with the last of us you saw it with birth of the wild you saw it with any mario game any first party sony game any first party any game it gets review bombed by user scores and it's hard to trust most critics out there now anyway so like that's just Go to small YouTubers that have really good channels like the Skill Up. He's fantastic. Or uh, ACG. Anyways, second problem I have with this is why is it that the team found out at the same time we did? So that one's weird because I'm, I don't know for sure. It's just a report, and I haven't seen anything that went through and re-verified it. So I only state that so that it's not like we're giving 100% information. There is a report that states the devs did not know about it at all. Until the, Until tweet. the tweet went out. Well, well. to be fair, it wasn't the tweet. They they didn't find out because of the tweet. There's, there's context. They found out. They said they got an email the same time the tweet went live. Essentially, though. Uh, the, I don't want to make it sound like they found out the same way we found out. They yes. just found out the same time yes. we found yeah. out, which is another big problem in itself. Is that bubbly carbonated grape water? Uh, it's blackberry. Oh, okay. And yes, it's that, actually incredibly good. I was like, that can't be good if it's grape. No, I don't. COVID. <laughs> um, I, that's, honestly, that was the joke. Oh. <laughs> But I mean, other than that, like, get your game out, and that's fine. But it just feels like this was the most necessary. Everybody says every delay is unnecessary, or I say everybody. A lot of people say every delay that they get is unnecessary. Well, we are typically more of like, hey, if that's what it takes to make the game run more smooth, don't tell somebody who asked for vacation time like the day, like the day before. Dude was like, 
no taxi backsies. I'm asking off for vacation. They're like, it, with no more delays. And what's funny was. I cried when I read that. Bro, did you see his update tweet? No, his not update, his. His update tweet was, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Chances are he put in for vacation time to get off, and he now doesn't get it off. So, you know, and, and even then, like, even the, the, the Twitter team went back and were like, we're so sorry. We weren't aware of the delay or whatever uh, they said. They, like, they, they were like, we're so, they apologized to the, the guy. The Twitter team was interesting. Not that it matters. Their response of, do you think anyone would notice if we deleted this? <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> at least they were having good fun with it. But at the end, it's like, okay, there, there are some games that are coming out that people like me who cannot get a pre-order for PlayStation 5 need. And this was one of them. This was one of my like, I could start on PlayStation 4 and go into PlayStation 5. By the time I get to play this game, I might as well get a PlayStation 5. So, I have one thing, and I think we can probably move on from this. Yeah. Clearly, this is just, it's, it's, it's primarily funny because of how many times they've continued to talk about it. And it's continued to be delayed. But, I think that there's one statement here that gives me a very telling situation, but I understand why they can't move it now. I think it would be... Foolish to say that anybody bought a console specifically because of Cyberpunk. It's possible, um, but the numbers would be probably pretty low. But here's the problem that comes with that statement, right? Is they keep saying that they're being held back by the fact that this is a next-gen game that they're having to get to run on current-gen consoles. If you remember with The Witcher 3, originally they wanted it to be a current-gen game on the 360, but they decided to push it and let it be next-gen only so that they wouldn't have to deal with those problems. Can you imagine what Witcher 3 would look like if it was cross-gen? Oh my god, I can't. But to be fair, one really great example of cross-gen, regardless of how you feel about the game, is Metal Gear Solid, a huge open-world game. Yeah, that game still looks great, but can Very you imagine what that game would look like if yeah. it was a PlayStation 4 exclusive or a, yes. this, this yeah. gen exclusive? But, um, yeah. yeah. But going back to that, I think the real problem they run into here is that it sounds to me like the fact that they keep saying this means that this game needs to just be a next-gen game. But at this point, the funny part is that if they came out and said that now, they'd have to deal with people who bought the Cyberpunk Xbox just like I did that comes with a copy of the game. Yeah. And so now they're stuck in a position where I don't think that they can do anything besides clearly at this point with almost all the work they've done, they would never cancel all the other versions. Your, they will do whatever they have to do to get the other versions going. Also, did you just say Metal Gear Solid 4? Five is what I meant. Okay. I might have said four. You said four, and I was thinking, I was like, wait, what's, wait, what's four? A cross-gen game? No. <laughs> and I was like, because five is what I was thinking about when we talked about yes. it. Yes. Uh, was, the, was, the, was the console anything extra? What do you mean? Like, was uh, like was it 370 instead of 300? Oh, it was uh, it was more money. It was five. Okay. It was, for, I mean, for the inclusion of the it game. It was 500. No, I don't think so. I think it was built into the price because they have a good deal. I think it was 500. Normal Xbox One X price. So mm. yeah, I was but say, what I mean was, is, if it was because that doesn't technically include the price of the game, it doesn't. But uh, and so you don't have a system that you. Like, you but won't lose. one of the promised items is right. clearly gone. Which, like, which, I've already false advertised. I've already redeemed it. Like it's on the system. Actually, as soon as you start the system up, it's like you own Cyberpunk. So the yeah. day it comes out, you'll have it. So, but I guess what I'm saying is, in an ideal world, if because of that. If they could just have the game only have to work on Xbox One X and then next-gen consoles, it would probably be better for the game. But, it would be. Because I really think the thing that's straining this game the most is uh, base Xbox One and then followed closely behind it, base PlayStation 4. Yeah. I think that's their big challenge. What they could do with the Pro and the One X is not even worry about running the game at 4K or anything like that. Just make the game run at a normal 1080p and just make sure it's all stable. But... It is what it is at this point. It's just funny. 
So next thing we're going to talk about is Insomniac have revealed a new suit for its upcoming Miles Morales game. And it's none other than the Miles suit from Into the Spider-Verse. So if you watched that movie and thought, that suit looks amazing, here we are. The suit comes with a host of special treatments to make it feel authentic, sharing the proportions of Miles in the movie. So he has longer fingers, longer thumbs. He has very interesting shaped feet, which is awesome to me. Um, he, of course, is animated on the twos so that you get that same effect that the movie gave you of his animation. 12 frames per of, second yeah. on his character model, yeah. which you can turn off. Well, animated on the twos is interesting because if that game runs at 60 frames per second and you're in the 60 frames per second mode, the same effect would happen if you just animate on the twos, making it a 30 frames per second animation instead of a 60 frames per second game. You know uh, what I mean? Well, it'd be half, where this is definitely more of like 15, like this is low frames. Just I mean, the way how jarring it is compared to 60, right? I mean, I wouldn't say it's jarring, but I think that when you put a 30 frames per second what? animation, it doesn't look jarring to me. I'm going to play that way. It looks fantastic. Uh, it's going to be one of those things where uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, like I got used to the movie. If I get used to it, then I'll play it. But like, yeah. if I don't, I'm going to turn it off. But all I'm saying is I am curious, and I don't think that they've put an answer out there, but animated on the twos just means you're doing half-speed animation. You still have the same effect because of that. Because of the stark, stark difference between the two. So, I mean, it is what it is, but it looks fantastic. And, of course, it has the uh, the little sound effect bubbles that pop up, like the thwop and Very you know, stylish. punches. When you're, it, it looks great. All I'll leave, if you've already seen on social media, is I have wanted, since I've watched that movie, a game that runs in this entire look. And someone stated that you could, of course, probably pull something off with a filter that makes the world match the character's suit. And that would be closer but the thing is, is, I want a game designed from the ground up with this idea of exaggerated proportions of street signs and character models. I think I'd rather, everything. yeah, I'd rather have it fully integrated and yeah. not just a filter. But a filter as just an option to play it to where the character model looks more as part of the world would be cool. Boy, I don't see how you say this is not jarring. Now, when he's just moving like that, sure. When he is flying through the air, no, sir. No, oh, it sir. looks fantastic. It looks like a Mr. Game & Watch. You see that? No. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I do too, but I'm just saying... To call it not jarring is, is I don't think it's jarring because jarring implies that it like it messes you up. No, jarring just implies that there's a difference. I don't think. I don't know. I guess you're right. It's context of what I think jarring should mean in the in what it is. You gotta look up the definition of jarring. Yeah, just because I, I might have this wrong. No, it's just striking or shocking, clashing. Okay. Now well, this I, does say causing a physical pain, shock, jolt, or vibration. Clearly, the, the less the dual shot or dual sin shocks me, that's not the way I'm talking about. Yeah. It. Yeah, but either way, I guess I just mean it doesn't have an effect on me. And that's what I was kind of viewing yeah. the jarring as. Like it, it doesn't have an effect on me one way or the other. And I would imagine that the animations are probably set to animate on the twos, but the logic is still set to animate as if you were fully animated. Well, I want to so say... So that your punches and stuff still land as they would. I want to say that somebody from Insomniac's Twitter even called it 12 frames per second. I mean, if so, that's which is which makes sense because but twelve frames per second versus twenty four, dude, that would be so weird. I don't think that that's that's isn't that how the movie was made though? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, and, like, and partially because as you go through the movie, he actually starts to animate more and more and more to where he's as he gains confidence. That's a great movie. You should totally watch it. I have not you. Oh, everyone else, if you've not. <laughs> I'll snap that next. So there goes that. Uh, next thing up, the new PlayStation app has launched, and with it brings the once-separated sections of the PlayStation phone ecosystem back in a single app that has seen a huge overhaul of look and functionality as it was rebuilt from the ground up to be a better companion with PS4 and PS5 moving forward. Um, i got to say, I really like the new app. It's sleek. It looks much better than what was there, uh, and I think that it makes more sense from a UI standpoint. It's a little easier to navigate. And I'm so glad that messages are brought back into the app because 
why were they ever separate? It's very that, that made me really mad because I remember back when the app was like, what, I'd say four years old or four years ago mm-hmm. when that, when it was all integrated and yeah. then they took it out and they had you install messages. Yep. And then I can't remember who we played with. It was either John, me, you, Ryan. It was somebody who never like, first of all, the notification for a new message is the shrillest sound in the world of how loud it was. That it was that jingle that was so loud. Never the heard default it. message. If you didn't turn them on mute or just vibrate only, my phone's always on vibrate only. Yeah, I was like, you would have heard it. It, it is yeah. so loud. It gives me PTSD just thinking about how loud that thing was. <laughs> and we would play with somebody on PSN where who had those turned on. I think it was. It might have been Josh Drago, or it was Josh Drago, John, or or Ryan. It was one of those three people, I think. And we were sitting there talking in a group chat. And it was going off. And I remember having to tell somebody, like, turn that off, please. Please turn that off. Um, I wonder if I could find a clip of it on YouTube and show you how bad it is. It's so shrill. And every now and then, I'll turn my phone on loud. Like like when uh, when my wife had to go to work earlier than me, I'd keep my phone on loud because if she called me on the way to work with a flat tire or something, and I was sleeping, I'd wake up. Sure. Um, It, I'll see if I can even find it. Maybe someone else hates it just as much as you did. Maybe so. It looks like you don't have the, <laughs> you're not finding it. No. <laughs> so while you look for that, I'm going to go on to the next thing. But right now it looks great. So if uh, curious to see what you guys think of it, we're going to do that old YouTube thing. Let us know in the comments below. <laughs> We've already talked to some though. I know a lot of people are really liking it. Uh, so of course, as we continue to go on, with PS5 out in people's hands, more and more information regarding the system is coming out. Currently, it seems that PS5 games won't be able to utilize PSVR outside of backwards compatibility. This means games like No Man's Sky, which was given a PS5 update uh, thing that looks fantastic, and Hitman 3, both of which have PS5 versions and free upgrades coming, will not support PSVR when playing said PS5 versions. So, so are they going to in PSVR or not? I don't think so, but I think what they're trying to do here, because he's actually gone through and said that they love PSVR. This is Jim Ryan. He mentioned that PSVR is a good thing and that they love it. And he said that, they don't want backwards compatibility, the, the, too. The next step for it and the next step of tech that they want to do is still years out. So I think, as I've said before, this is going to be a thing where maybe two years after we see the PlayStation launch, we see or three in that ballpark, we see the same thing where midway through the generation or at least a few years in is when they finally come with the next headset. I am surprised. I really thought for PSVR, they were just going to go ahead and let PS five games use it. And then the power benefits would be natural. You'd be able to push a higher resolution. You'd be able to max out the actual 1080p OLED panels inside of the screen. Because we already saw that, like, right, when yeah. you're playing PSVR on, when you play Resident Evil 7 uh, on VR on PS4, stock-based PS4, it runs at a lower resolution than 1080p. I don't know what it is, but when you play it on PS4 Pro, it's very sharp. It looks a lot better. So I thought you'd be able to push that forward, and more and more games like Skyrim VR would be able to constantly remain at a 1080p, and then you'd be able to do that with newer games moving forward. And I'm a little sad that that appears not to be the case. The only problem is, is right now, it doesn't look like Sony has actually clarified whether this is true. It just looks like it because right now, No Man's Sky and Hitman 3 are both saying that you can only play PSVR when you're in backwards compatibility mode. Which is interesting. Swing and a miss on this one. I don't like it, and I wish that Sony would go ahead and come out and give a statement as to what's going on. Uh, while we're talking about that, um, they also have announced from that 
Uh, we've known that a free adapter was going to be planned for current owners to be able to play using the PS4 camera that's required and the DualShock 4. A lot of problems that come in. PS5 games don't support DualShock 4, so that's why people think, logically speaking, how would you do that? If, if you have to use DualShock 4 for PSVR, PS5, even though it still has the light bar, it's not really built for PSVR in the same way. Yeah, Who knows? it's different, which is... Yeah. It's, still, it's all intriguing, too, because... I don't know. You think that the inclusion of the light bar would be to continue using PSVR? The same one, or the same model, even. I mean, yeah, because because I, I will. You can still see the light from the front, so well, it's not like it's impossible. But yeah, true. I don't know. It's just weird. But either way, you can finally go and uh, onto the website for Sony and go and request by entering in your serial number of your PSVR breakout unit. And you can get them to send you one of the adapters for the camera free of charge. I do like that it's free of charge. I ultimately think that the way they're going about doing it is very odd, uh, but it is what it is. So, but also, if they don't plan for PSVR to be utilized by PS5 games, maybe this makes more sense <laughs> because only people who want to bring it forward for backwards compatibility will care, and they save a lot of money on not having to package it in. Yeah. It is what it is, sadly. Uh, so, next thing up, though, PS Plus games for November, as well as updates to the PS Plus collection on PS5 have come out. PS4 users get the amazing Hollow Knight, which, shout out, I'm wearing my Hollow Knight shirt. Uh, great game. Play it. Fantastic game. Uh, also, alongside that, Middle Earth Shadow of War. So, PS4 users get to play that, while PS5 users get Bucksnacks as a day one title. So, here's the interesting thing. Despite being a cross-gen title, Bucksnacks PS4 version will not be included as part of PS Plus. I'm assuming that this is acting as a benefit for those who have made the switch to PS5 earlier, kind of like a, hey, here's a great game for you, but it is interesting. The PS Plus collection, though, also received a full list of games with a few new additions as follows. From from Sony's Worldwide Studios, you have Bloodborne, Days Gone, Detroit Become Human, God of War, Infamous Second Son, Ratchet and Clank, The Last Guardian, The Last of Us Remastered, Until Dawn, and Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Uh... From third-party publishers and developers, you have Batman Arkham Knight, Battlefield 1, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. On Black Ops 3, it's the Zombies Chronicles Edition. I don't know what that means, but there you are. Like I said, there's Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Fallout 4. Final Fantasy 15 was already known to be on the service, but it has since been upgraded to the Royal Edition, so it has all the DLC. Monster Hunter World, Mortal Kombat 10, Persona 5, Resident Evil 7, Biohazard. Um, interestingly enough, it's hard to tell whether this was just one of those things of games could benefit or if all games are made to benefit. But there is a remark on the PS blog page for this that mentions the PS4's boost mode or PS5's game boost. And it reads as though it could be that all of these games that were selected are set up in such a way that they will benefit from game boost specifically. Which, if this is how we end up with, you know, 60 frames per second Bloodborne. I mean, I. Would... <sighs> we will see (laughs) because I don't think that that does anything with the frame pacing but we will definitely find out but moving on the last two things that we're going to kind of end up with here I think two very interesting things so the first one is they're both Jim Ryan but in a recent gamesindustry.biz interview, Jim Ryan stated the reasoning behind the seeming change in strategy regarding true next-gen exclusives, as Sony were originally talking about, versus 
what we're seeing now with cross-gen titles. He says the company's eyes have been opened in regards to the massive influx of PS4 players as a result of the ongoing pandemic. He follows that this audience of heavily engaged PS4 users will make up the majority of PlayStation owners through at least 22, calling it, quote, crucial, end quote, to keep them engaged. This thought process seems to support the decision to move many of the early PS5 games to being cross-gen, also making me think that if God of War two or whatever you want to call it Ragnarok is coming uh, if you if that is a 2021 game then that likely means it's cross gen as well though it doesn't for sure because as it's been made clear it does not seem that Ratchet and Clank will be a cross gen title so it might be a title by title basis and giving them just enough on the PS4 to keep them happy as they work through getting a PS5 on their own so one of the things that comes from this is he mentions that in the interview, you can read that he mentions install base. isn't the same marker for success that it once was. It still remains very important. Clearly they talk about that, but overall he's talking about something that I think clearly Xbox is getting into as they've worried less and less about how many units they have out there. Uh, but he talks about overall engagement and that part of what's going on right now is that the PS4 audience that has come in as part of the, ongoing pandemic right has been a surge of new players who've never owned a PlayStation before or PlayStation four before at least. And also people who maybe were playing PS four, but are now more engaged with it than they used to be because of being inside. And I think that they're seeing that there's a high chance that these people are going to stick around or they're hoping. So in that they want to make that group of people, they actually mentioned that that's going to be the majority of people who own playstations through 2022. So when you look at it in that sense, I do see why they would have more of a reason to want to push away from Sony's traditional, always have a next gen exclusive uh, or always have next gen exclusives and leave the previous gen behind unless the game was just being worked on all of God of War two on PS two coming out after PS three was already out. But with that, I think that one of the things that happens and I see it within our own community and I understand it because it is still clearly a mark of success and a mark of your potential to get games coming out and consoles are that cyclical nature, right? They've always been that the more you have out there, the more people buy your games. Right. Even if it's not your game, it's a third-party game. You make money off of that. Therefore, the cycle continues. The more people that you can get to buy a console and then buy a game, the more money you continue to make. Well, that's changing a little bit because right now it's how many people can you get to buy your console? Well, after they've bought your console, how long can you keep them to be subscribed to this service? Be it PS Plus, PS Now. Game Pass, Xbox Games with Gold, or Xbox Live, whatever you want to call it. That's that's clearly a big step now. And then you add in this new layer of free-to-play games of, even if they don't buy a new game, how often can you get them, or how often are they, or do you find that they're spending money within an existing game where they maybe have not bought a new game, but they've bought $10 worth of this credit in the game, which, again, Sony gets a part of. Right. So if you kind of go through that, engagement does matter more and more, in our ever online thing. And a lot of the times you see people say that numbers have to be it. And the big thing about Xbox moving forward next gen is that numbers are going to not matter at all because Xbox is on phones. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's the thing is that like we talked about it a while back is that now Xbox is advertising the world's most powerful console or whatever they're doing. That won't be the thing next gen. That'll be play anywhere, which coincidentally enough, Whose old slogan is that? Play anywhere. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Wasn't that the Vita slogan or the PSP slogan? Might have been. <laughs> Did I just subliminally like, cross companies? Anyways, 
Um, that might have been their state for remote play. I can see may, that. Maybe so, but um, very different meaning of play anywhere, but technically still accurate. Yeah, like that won't be a thing. Like, like they won't care how many Xboxes are sold. And that's what I was saying is that starting this gen, you might as well stop trying to compare them as you heavily can right now because it'll eventually not matter. Like people often will say like, well, the PS4 is doing so much better than the Xbox. Okay. But then by the end of the Switch's life, it'll probably outsell the PS4. So what does that say about any of the other two consoles? It doesn't mean nothing bad about them necessarily. It kind of just goes into the whole competition versus gauging how well a company is doing versus off console sold kind of conversation. But what's interesting about this is that it's really kind of contradicting to what they've said in the past in a very slight way. It, it is. And, and I think that that's at least them. By, by the way, before I forget about it, play anywhere. I knew I recognized it. It's Xbox's thing for oh, okay. Xbox cross <laughs> Windows 10. Oh, okay. Well, that makes if sense. If you bought then. the game on Xbox, you got to play the Windows 10 version. So it's like cross. It was the cross buy thing, or cross. Yeah. What, was it cross buy? Damn, as long we, as it was a digital version. We just talked about this right before the show started. Um, <laughs> but this is what I don't like, Jim Ryan. I haven't liked Jim Ryan for a while now, just based off solely off his stance on backwards compatibility. Well, then now he adds backwards compatibility, and it seems to do a, a pretty good job of working, except for VR, as we just talked about. Um, or well, with VR being the outlier. Um, and now he he went from generations matter to now here's a lot of cross gen games, and then now it's they're still focusing on it when generations mattered. Like I don't, it's hard to read where they're going with this mm-hmm. because it would seem. I think anybody our camera's doing the word focusing thing again. Look quick, you see it? It did it for a split second. Uh, I try to catch it in the view, um, but it's weird. Because you can typically gauge the way the company is going based off of their current standing and the current trajectory they have. Xbox, we know for sure by next gen, they won't care about console sales. They won't care about having a beefy console. They'll care about having their games on PlayStation or Nintendo. That's what they're wanting. Sony, on the other hand, it's kind of hard to tell where they're going because now with the stuff with VR and... It's like are like are they are they going to pursue VR even stronger or are they kind of putting it at the wayside for now? Are they focusing on the PS4 till twenty twenty three or four? Are they going to focus? Like what is their next thing? And it seems the answer in that lies in the DualSense. Wrapping this conversation all the way back around. It's, I don't want to say gimmick, because gimmick implies negativity. I think that their niche for their next generation is between the DualSense and their SSD. Sure. And have you watched Marquez Brownlee's new video about the DualSense? Oh, no, specifically about the DualSense. No. He was playing Astrobot Adventure, and he was talking about how, like, there's a part in that game where you have, like, you are a little Astrobot, and you're, you're a spring. And to jump, you have to hold down the trigger and spring up. Well, as you hold down the trigger, it gets harder because like a spring compressing, it gets harder to press down. And he said that that felt the most next gen out of this entire thing when, and it came from the controller. And I think that that is where Sony is starting to move forward. I think that their SSD tied with load times to keep you in the world faster and not on your phone. And I think that the controller being as important as it is to this, doing different things like how hard a bow is to draw back or how hard you're hitting something or the slight rumble vibrations in climbing this wall versus this flat wall. 
I think that they're going for a more immersion thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you can kind of see Sony landing soon enough. But back kind of on to like this, this subject. Well, real quick on that, right? uh The only thing I'd say about that before you just move too far away from it is that Sony's always done this and it's often bit them in the ass. And that's unfortunate. It's either bit them in the ass or it just ended up not mattering. Uh, one thing that I was having a conversation with on Twitter, I was having a conversation with Gideon about the pressure-sensitive buttons that were on the PS2 and the PS3. And mm-hmm. we saw those fall by the wayside this generation with PS4. Right. And the thing is, is that that was amazing. And, and it, it was. completely changes the way you play games. And you often hear people who've never played a Metal Gear Solid game but have started it either on PS4 PS if you Vita, play the, yeah. I can't remember if it is pressure sensitive. I don't think it is. Or if you played it on 360. A lot of people played them for the first time on 360. This game doesn't work right. And I'm like, yeah, because the game was designed from the ground up on a system exclusively that was had, that had pressure sensitive buttons. So what you would do, people are like, you, you can't aim without shooting. Well, sadly, what ends up happening is that originally you held the button down and you would, you would aim. And then when you pressed harder, you'd shoot. That's awesome. That's a great idea, but that went by the wayside. So then what we see in the PlayStation 3, PlayStation 3 was more reserved. It was, Mm -hmm. well, motion gaming is a thing, so let's make sure we have motion gaming. Six axis. Right? But we see them swing back and full with the Vita. They go, Vita, we're going to go all back in on it. We're going to do a touch screen on the front, touch pad in the back. We're going to put a camera, make sure the camera's part of this. We're going to have a microphone. And again, part of that's about having a device in your hand. I understand it. Right, but even then they used one game to utilize the camera. Name another game that utilized the camera that wasn't Tearaway. Oh, Uncharted. Well, how do they use the camera? Uh, in Golden Abyss, you have to actually, there's a part where you have to hold up a map. And I love this scene. I, I love this because it is about immersion, right? In the game, you're seeing Drake and you're in the first person perspective. You're holding a map and you have to reveal invisible ink. And the way you have to do that is you have to have a light turned on and you have to push the camera up against the light to get the invisible ink to show through. It was awesome. But That's weird. your point still stands in that very few games utilize it yeah which brings us in again why would sony have any reason to want to bring that forward come forward to this gen right you have with ps4 you have touch pad which is kind of a reiteration of the touch pad on the back yeah interestingly at least makes more sense i think kind of yeah i mean i guess or at least i think it's easier to introduce it into the game because you don't have to use it for anything it is easier to introduce and since it's on the back you can use your fingers to swipe and and if if, uh, it features this three buttons technically a swipe and a select start kind of yes. thing so then when you look at it from that side since it is you know half and half you also have the the light thing on the front all right yeah the light bar now both of those things are about immersion you're getting chased by the cops it's flashing red and blue. right all right you're, that's cool you're low on health it's red it's red yeah and again if you're paying attention to that and you're in and developers are using it it is more immersive and the touchpad is pretty interesting in a game like Killzone shadowfall where you're in the future swipe it makes it sense. Up, you swipe it up and you your character swipes out and then send stuff it's like that in Killzone um mercenaries mercenaries as well they that. utilize those things in a way that feel natural to that game but you end up in this thing where Sometimes it's immersive. Sometimes it's just about being fun, like you know, or, or working well, like in Days Gone. If it, it, you know, you had problems with it, I think, but the ability to swipe through your menu so that it's quicker, and yeah. it is. And I haven't played Days Gone since I got the tip of like technically you could just do that from anywhere instead yeah. of like instead of pressing start or options then doing it, yes. which is like which feels like, like an extra feels button. like I could just hit R one instead, yeah. kind of thing. So in those games, it's clearly not immersion helping, right? But in some games, it is. Yes. And the same thing is true of the light bar. Whether or not you use the light bar for immersion, like perfect example, Until Dawn, right? Until Dawn was a perfect example of not only the light bar, yeah, but actually 
the six axis, something that we've seen plenty of games not do a very good what job did it of. Do and that was axis. where you didn't have to have a camera hooked up, but it would recognize where your controller was when you started, oh, yeah. and you'd have to hold it still while you had this thing creeping around you. Yeah. And it's about, it's like you have to push yourself to not be overly scared. Yeah, the Wendigo was like creep yeah. around the corner, and you're like, "Don't move, don't move, don't move, don't yeah. move." Yeah, and see, that's what I mean, and that is immersive. That's yes. that's pure immersion. So these features have been used for pure immersion, using the microphone on the controller to talk to Lisa and PT to get yep. the the game to trigger the ending. Or Again, whatever. pure immersion. It's all about that, but. Oftentimes, developers don't use it for whatever reason, and that's why we get into this conversation of right now, DualSense, these things feel next-gen. And I think the biggest thing I can say here is that Sony's continuing their thing of pushing controller input forward, mm-hmm. but I think this might be the first time where it looks like people as individuals are more excited about it in a way that doesn't feel as gimmicky. For I've heard multiple people say the way that the controller feels from a vibration standpoint and specifically the triggers themselves are the most next-gen feeling thing about the console, even though you're seeing these crazy loads uh, times and you're seeing these things. like The way that you interact with the game being suddenly different in a way that they could see developers legitimately using is important. And we've seen Sony try and try and try and fail and fail and fail. And eventually, these things get removed. It's why the controllers don't have pressure-sensitive buttons anymore. You know what I just now realized? But have they ever announced that you could um, that you could turn these features off? I don't know. I think that I think it's up to the developers. Because you would think that on a system level, you would be able to. Because people who have disabilities. Yes, we've talked about that actually in the show long before. Yeah, um, but it, well, it just now occurred to me with Shave Dog, and he he said he had finger Tourette's. Well, what if he is unable to press down something that is pushing pressure back hard enough, or something like that? That just kind of reminded me of like that situation. I'm like, because I was thinking, I was like, Sony does really kind of have the controller immersion lockdown on on point, and then I said, that's it. Actually, in my head, thinking this, I was like, that's a good thing for Microsoft's adaptive controller. Yes, and then I was like, well, wait a second here. This isn't exactly adaptive to people if it's if it's inherently making something more challenging. Yeah. But well, I'm curious. I think to, a good example, right, is either it's going to be on the developer level or Sony might let you do it on the system level because Demon Souls had a new slew of interviews and they kept talking about... I hope they... I, I don't want Souls games to utilize none of these features. Oh, it's there, but you can turn it all off. Okay, good. Because I just feel like, especially Demon Souls of all of them, I feel like that, that doesn't belong. Uh, they mentioned like... the I can't remember... Oh, it's it's four bows in Demon Souls. That's it. It gets uh, it gets a little harder as you continue to pull the bow back okay. uh, for bows. And then for the dual sense vibration, it's you can turn it off too. It's They talk about how it gives you like a feeling because you feel it before your visual... Rep- you know, can recognize it when like an enemy, like a six sense kind of thing or yeah, intuition kind like, of thing. Where metal clacks metal, you can feel kind of where and how. And I'm still so curious to see what these it. controllers feel like. Me too. Because like, <laughs> I swear if it's just like HD vibration or whatever, it's like in the switch, I'm just going to be done with it. <laughs> I mean, we'll see definitely. But I think the big thing here is I'm with you. It's hard to tell exactly where they're going, but I think that, the problem I have with Jim Ryan and PlayStation as a whole is that they don't come out and say stuff very often. And one of the things about Microsoft, right, is that Microsoft, you can see where they're going because they still continue and have no signs of having a different leader than they had during their last generation. Whereas toward the end of our generation with PlayStation 4, we actually saw a leader shakeup. And that means that, you know, you were talking about PSVR. Are they going to go harder or softer into it? Like, are they going to pull more back from it? Are they going to lean harder into it? When, Shuhei Yoshida mentioned that when they were first launching the first PSVR, that the company viewed it as the launch uh, of the PlayStation 1. And as far as they were concerned, it was like, it's this is stay. the first of one thing that's here to stay. Yeah. And but the, see, problem is, the problem is, when you have a Shuhei. C- yeah, when you have a, well, but Shuhei, 
even then, you, it's more than Shuhei. It's Andrew House is gone. You have, uh, well, of course, yeah, we had. Saying, I'm just saying now it's now it's Jim Ryan. Like that yeah. that statement's invalid in a way. But but even Shuhei wasn't in in. You know, we had. Oh, it was so like, many it, was like a board, it was a board, but it of, was all about. I think that Shuhei felt comfortable saying that, despite the fact that that wasn't really his job to say, right? Because clearly, everybody at the company that was felt their, that way. That was their current emotions. But when Andrew House has left, and both of the presidents have left, we saw with um, Sean Layden, of course, I was leaving. Say Sean Layden. Jack Tretton left. So when you see that you have all these people that were once involved, Adam Boys, you have different people who were involved, and since all of that shakes up and moves around. Ken Kudaragi um, is, you know, a board member, but he has less say. It seems like what's the uh, I can't think of it right now. Kasarai, Kasarai oh, yeah. is clearly no longer their leader. How could and you moved forget on. his name? It just escaped me for a second. <laughs> but yeah, when you have that kind of leadership shakeup to that degree, it is harder to understand where a company's coming from. But where I was going about where I'm disappointed with them is they won't just come out and say it. Like I don't understand why if they if they suddenly were like listen we saw a ton of people come in and be way more engaged with the PS4 so we've decided that moving forward we're going to continue to support PS4 longer than we intended and that's all you have to say you don't have to wait and say it right before the PS5 comes out why did this take so long to come out right why did we not hear this beforehand why did we not hear this before Spider-Man was shown as a PS4 title and before we learned that Horizon was going to be a PS4 title Tell us just the moment that this comes up. It doesn't take much. The moment that you as a company have decided this is what we're going to do. They should, they, they should let us know. Because it's, it's a lot like what happened with Crossplay. They never actually officially came out and said really much about Crossplay. It was just kind of one day Crossplay's here. And they kept quiet about it, too, up until then. Just say. If, yeah. you're, if you're saying, and it's weird how they go back and forth. I remember them saying in regards to Crossplay that they didn't know if it was a business model that was going to work for them as a company if they wanted to support it. And that's fine. At least that's an answer. That they still stayed too quiet in the in between time, and then it was kind of conflicting messages There's from just different people. A lack of general communication, yeah, in a and sense. well, that's and see, good and bad because it does make the hype for PS5 way higher because it's like you know so little that you're just excited, but it also means that things like this if end up coming off like they're they're turning on a dime when they probably aren't. It's just that they aren't communicating when they're starting to change, so it feels like suddenly they're making fun of Microsoft for supporting the the Xbox One for two more years, and yet what are Here we saying are. right now? They're going to support the PS4 for two more years. So also this this next thing for Jim that Jim said is intriguing. I think that this makes sense, and I actually will say that's, that, that's why it's yeah. intriguing. Yeah. So Jim Ryan also the next thing and the last thing we'll talk about has recently stated Sony's response uh, to big acquisitions like Microsoft have been seeking out. Uh, he stated that Sony and PlayStation will continue to, quote, organically grow its studios, uh, implying expansion of existing studios, which we've seen them do with Gorilla having a second team and moving forward. All the, stu- all the teams, or all the studios, rather, have gotten new studios in recent years, like new actual places of work that I'm assuming gives them room to grow, Yeah, of course. And he also mentions out... Uh, ground up building of talent, which is what? you know very much like what you're seeing with the new San Diego studio that many are thinking is going to be the Uncharted studio. Uh, that we don't know what they're working on, but we know that it's a built from the ground up studio, which we've also seen Xbox do with their initiative uh, studio. And of course, their last thing is occasionally through very selective mergers and acquisitions with studios that they've had long standing relationships with, much like Insomniac. So I guess what this means, and why this is kind of important, is that. Sony and the way they've gone about making games has been very specific, and we see that with who they choose to partner with, who they choose to buy, and they've always been this way. They like to work with someone for a long time before, and specifically them exclusively for a long time before they go after acquisitions. And 
what we've seen Xbox do as kind of a other hand is Xbox looks at people that they've worked with off and on from a third party level and just be like, Hey, you know, this is what we've worked with you on getting your game out on our system in general. And yet you get to this sense where like, I remember feeling like Ninja theory being bought by Microsoft was such a weird thing because they have very little of a relationship in any form of exclusivity where I think Sony approaching developers and being like, listen, we're not going to own you, but we're going to contract you out to make this game. Uh, you know, you're, we'll give you the funding for it, and depending on how it goes, we'll continue to make that relationship move forward. We did not see Sony buy, for for instance, Sucker Punch. Right. Ghost of Tsushima has been the best-selling new IP on PlayStation 4. Period. Much exceeding the expectations that Sony had for the game, and they have been quick to say that many of times, and they're so proud of Sucker Punch, and that's awesome. A lot of people don't think about this, but Sucker Punch was only bought shortly after Resistance 2, uh, not Resistance, sorry, (laughs) Infamous 2 came out. So they've only released two games as a first-party studio. It might have been right before Infamous 2 came out, but I'm pretty sure it was shortly after. So when you think about it in that sense, they've released Sly Cooper 1, 2, 3, and Infamous 1 being completely contracted studios, right? That's a smaller example. Now let's go and look at an example that they just recently acquired, Insomniac. Insomniac have made well over probably 15 exclusive games with PlayStation. Well, on the counter, or not argument, but the counter discussion to that, too, is look at how different games or these developers can make uh, compared to what they normally do. Look at Gorilla. Look at what they made with Horizon, and look what Death, like the, the 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 core of Horizon. Look what Death Stranding because of that engine. Yep, sure. They that engine allowed. Well, I didn't say I wouldn't say allow, but it it furthered Kojima's vision with that game. Yeah, or um, uh, yeah, it allowed him to not worry about an engine so that he could continue to make a game. Unlike the problem that we always saw with Metal Gear Solid Five is that it was a story of having a story you wanted to tell, but also having an, to make the engine to tell that story. Whereas in getting the Decima engine. He didn't have to worry about the engine so much. Yeah. It was, well, we can work on making the engine better, but we already have an engine. And um, I, I honestly think that it's always interesting to see a game studio being bought or leaving a company to go to another. Uh, like watching, I want to see what Ninja Theory does at Xbox because I want to see like Hellblade 2 and I want to see how it is compared to the second one or the first one. And I want to see if there's ever an update that Ninja Theory, like let's say if Hellblade 2 is more focused on combat than it is the first one, mm-hmm. because it is not a very combat heavy game. There is combat instances in the game, sure. but it's not nowhere near even 50% of the um, primary part of the game. Whereas if Hellblade 2 is 50% or more, I want to know if that was something that Xbox made them do, or if that was a developer decision. Yeah. And we would have gotten it regardless of who was bought out. I, I think that right there is, a, is, a, is almost... You need to have an open mind when developers are bought and or new developers make something new like Gorilla or like Ninja Theory um, because you don't know if that's what they wanted to do from the get-go or if they're being chokeholded into the something. And I think that it's always unfair to go ahead and judge that without knowing. Like sure. I, I think it's unfair to say, well, Hellblade 2 is nothing but Devil May Cry 5. Like This is Xbox's fault. Until it's explicitly stated that it's Xbox's fault, I don't think it's a fair statement. The same thing people said with Horizon. I'm sure you saw it, but did you see some people were mad that that Horizon wasn't a game? And I think it was mainly because it was a female character, but it wasn't Killzone. Did you, did you ever see people that were mad about that? No, I didn't. I, I mean, couple, I love Killzone, but they made plenty of them. I want to say that was probably a lot of people who just aren't cool playing as a female character, and then they were lashing out, and they were like, this isn't a Killzone game. Don't be wrong. In my ideal situation, and I stated it, because I think Mercenaries was such a solid game. 
when they moved, um, I can't remember what they were called beforehand right now, Studio yeah, it was just Cambridge. Cambridge. Uh, but then they became Guerrilla Cambridge. When that happened, and then Killzone Mercenaries came out and showed me that they knew how to make a good Killzone game, I thought, okay, you let Guerrilla proper move on and kind of still work with Cambridge on like lore and stuff. You have somebody who's involved in that. Yeah. But from here on, you let Cambridge continue to make the games. They've proven themselves, much like the... Much like was the plan for three four three and Halo, like you, <laughs> <laughs> you, but you know that was the plan. You let somebody make a game, and then if they prove themselves, you let them take on the reins. And I think that would have made sense, right? Is you have a second, you have a team that continues to make new Killzone games, which I do love Killzone. I don't want it to just be beaten to death, but I would love a new. They one. should have ported Mercenaries to four PS4. I think it's so integrated with the Vita. I don't know how you do it. I'm sure you could move most of the stuff to the touchpad. Maybe, and then maybe, I, maybe like, I don't know. But I think the the fact that Uncharted has clearly not been done is also a big Uncharted. Now I would agree. Uncharted is integrated to the Vita two way more, than even more mercenaries. Yes. Um, um, but but go, going back to what you're talking about, yes, I think that I do get that. But I guess one thing I want to bring up here is that the part of the reason I think this is such a big decision, and I think a reasonable decision, right, is going back to the statement I mentioned about. Um, Ninja Theory, right? There's a lot of acquisitions that have happened from Xbox that are that are nonsensical to me. And not saying that they're bad moves or that it's not beneficial just for surprising. the both parties. It just doesn't make sense from it's a... It's jarring. It's jarring. <laughs> <laughs> Cyclical episode. Um, so I think, like, you know, when you think about Play Dead Studios, or I think it's Play Dead, maybe it's Playground, whichever one Playground. makes um, the Forza Horizon games. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a smart acquisition, and then expanding them to make Playground Fable games. is sensible. It makes sense. But when you look at Ninja Theory, again, there's no reason, in my opinion, that that, would, that that made sense. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it didn't make sense. Whereas I really appreciate that Sony are slow, and they look. And I, If you were to tell me right now that Sony were going to be in talks to eventually acquire Kojima... I think it makes sense, because Sony and Kojima had a long-standing relationship while he was at Konami and exclusivity working with that. They clearly had a rela- that relationship is the only reason I think that Sony were able to court him to well, make Death Stranding exclusively for the PlayStation 4. He had a that's on Xbox now, isn't it? What? Death Stranding. No. Is it just on PC? PC only. Okay. I didn't know if it was a launch And that was that was the agreement because I think he wanted to make sure that this move from Sony wasn't just another company holding him down. So, I mean, of course, we'll never know the back end of that, but it was clearly in the agreement from the get-go. Well, it's also weird to have his cuz his relationship with Nintendo he does have a relationship with Nintendo, yeah, but I think I, clearly he has a much stronger with Sony, and that's how that happened. So yeah. if Sony were to come out and say, we've bought Kojima, it's a sensible acquisition. And that comes back into this main point of why I think it's such a good idea, is that Sony are really smart about knowing the way that they make games and the way that their culture is around their games. And that's why there's always this Crunch. air of <laughs> there's always this air of familiarity in a way where the games can be very different, but you almost can always tell when a Sony game is a Sony game. So there's a culture about what makes a Sony game. I, I, I say that. I agree with that, but I not with everyone. There, there, are there, will, there will always be an outlier. Like Death Stranding does not feel like a Sony game. Absolutely does to me. Everything about that no, game feels like a that, Sony game. That game does not feel like a Sony game to me at all. It feels like a Kojima game. And I don't exactly correlate Kojima with Sony. Uh, Horizon 
that feels like a Sony game, but it doesn't feel like a Gorilla game. Yes, see how which that is fine. makes it's, yeah. a, it's the exact polar opposite of what yeah. Death Stranding is. I, th- I think Death Stranding, every bit of it makes sense as a PlayStation I, I, game, and I think that's why Sony were eager to get it going because, again, from a culture standpoint of what they believe and how they work on games and what they build on, I think it makes more sense to work with the company a lot of times to understand how they fit into your culture of of studios before you make that acquisition. That makes a ton of sense. Well, I mean, uh, and sure, then of course, but like at the same time. I feel like if you bought Death Stranding on PC, you sure. wouldn't have the same reaction as if you were playing Horizon in terms of your opinion towards Sony. What do you mean? I think that like Horizon's a good game to put on PC for Sony because it allows people who have PCs and no other consoles to make the maybe think, you know what, if this is what's on PlayStation 4, I can see this being a PS4 game. I can see this being a reason to get a PS4. Death Stranding doesn't, isn't that to me. And it might be... Of course, it, everybody's different opinions, but I clearly view Sony... I mean, I clearly view everything about Death Stranding being a Sony game. No, like the, the development and all that stuff, sure, but I'm talking about the actual game. The actual I, I, I mean, story. the actual game, like playing everything about the game, it feels like other Sony games to me. Again, in this way that it's it's tangential. It's not something that's... It, it's a quality about the games that when you're playing, you're like, this just feels like a Sony game. And I know that that's really up in the air and hard to put a finger on what it is. But I guess, I guess it is. Yeah, there is no real definition of that. Yeah, but if there's a feeling that I get, and I think a lot of that comes down to the way that Sony goes about treating their things. And well, and I think it all. You had a question with Microsoft, right? About like, you, you, you posed the question that will naturally come of if a studio that they bought ends up putting out a game that feels different than what they made before, is it because Microsoft meddled? Is it because of a chokehold? Or is, is it, it because the studio goes, now we have funding to do something we were already wanting to do, and now we're trying it, and maybe we failed at it, but yeah. it was all on us? And I, you know, I'll give Microsoft credit. It seems like they're giving their teams freedom and they they talk about it as if they are we know that sony is giving their teams freedom and sometimes suffer the consequences like we see with something like, like Order 1886 Dog. or the last of us 2 which clearly the last of us 2 is sold so amazingly that sony was, doesn't care i was talking about the crunch in naughty dog sure okay but i was saying like the the in terms of dollar amounts once it comes back that's right. what i was really more thinking of but um i said naughty dog i meant last of us 2 but yeah yeah last of us one any first party any game has crunch but anyways well, what my my generalization of that though is that you look at a game like Marathon or Oni. Oh, Bungie. Yeah, and okay, then yes. now you look at Destiny. There's an evolution there, hmm? but then you look at a game like Jack and Daxter, and then The Last of Us. There's a big evolution there. Yeah. Or um, a game like Infamous to Spider-Man. There's not that big of an evolution. It's pretty much kind of the same kind of still somewhat type of open world game, kind of fantastical story. Okay, I I guess this is where you're losing me. I thought you were talking about within single studios, and now you're going from one studio to another. Insomniac. Oh, not, not, (laughs) dang, I did it again. Okay. Resistance. (laughs) Did I say infamous? Yeah. Okay. But also Resistance and Spider-Man, I think, are... Not, I think, storytelling. Maybe that's where you... Well, that's what I'm saying, though, is that you have Jack and Daxter to Naughty Dog. Those are two end-of-the-spectrum games. You have Resistance and Spider-Man, two end-of-the-spectrum games. But there's always this one theme in common, and that is the story in them are are somewhat fantastical, but sometimes realistic, and sometimes, almost always, they're great. Whereas with Xbox, it's kind of hard to distinguish that between their studios, right? Like, you start out with... With Marathon, which was not an Xbox thing. So Bungie is not a, exactly a great option there, but you have yeah, and Halo. Oni was a PS2 game, interestingly enough. Yeah, and you have uh, Halo, which is 
the first game is involving some pretty messed up stuff with aliens invading the planet. But then you have by the last game, it's like this is Spartan versus Spartan AI wars. It's like, are you telling the same story? And by the end of it, it's the same story where I feel like even even there is a more consistent a consistent line between Resistance and Spider-Man. Because at the end of the day, they, those are trying to tell a story through gameplay. Where I feel like Halo lost its way. Mario has lost its way. Like I feel like you could tell a difference between quality in the games from one end of the spectrum to the other when studios change their games. That's the whole point of this is we looked at Hellblade and we saw what was the um, uh, Ninja Theory game on PS3. Hell, uh, oh, Heavenly Sword. Heavenly Sword. You look yes. at Heavenly Sword and you're like, that's a slashing game or slasher, but then you have then you have an immediate flip around with Hellblade, where there's some slashing in it, but it's not combat focused at all of yeah. the game. You have Naughty Dog with Jack and Daxter versus not Last of Us. You have um, you can even Mar- say Naughty Marathon. Dog with Crash to the Last yeah, of Us. Yeah, yeah, Crash Last of Us. Well, I'm talking about from the from the get go to the end. Um, which technically Jack and Dexter is before or after Crash, or Crash to the Last of Us, or then you have Marathon from Bungie to Destiny, or you have um, you know any of these incredibly long correlations in time in which a studio has output something, then something now pre and present is completely different than that original thing. Yeah, you can almost always tell if it's an incline of whether they wanted to, and if it's an incline in quality, at least similar to what they've recently put out, or if it's nothing at all. If it's if it's a weird divide, and that's what I think that you could tell when somebody's being chokeholded. You could tell if you would assume that Ninja Theory is being chokeholded by Microsoft if Hellblade Two is a slasher game with relatively to no story or oh, minor to yeah, no story. Yeah, like there's room for the assumption to be made. Right, such a but difference. It's it's kind of weird when you look at most other game studios, and they're almost always somewhat consistent. With Sony, every Sony studio, first-party studio, even if they weren't owned by Sony, then they're still very consistent in the way they do something. Whether it is the quality of a game, because it's hard to argue that Crash, when it first came out, wasn't a high-quality game, just like Ocarina of Time, yeah, high-quality high. game. Then you look at games like was that game called on a PS2? Your Caveman? I mean, not PS2. Nintendo uh, 64 and Your Caveman. I think it was on PS1 too. Dak, Tack, something like that. Tack. It is Tack. Tack and the power of Juju? Yeah. Yeah, you look at that game versus Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> Where are you going with this? No, I'm just saying, like, yeah. you, you look at you look at games, and you look at their studios, and then you look at how long that that studio's been making said games, and how different they end up becoming. You can almost tell it's an evolution of that said studio, whereas okay. with Microsoft, it's hard. It's hard to tell. And that's why I said in the beginning, you can't judge Microsoft because you don't know if it's them or the devs that want to change. Yeah, sure. And that's why, that's why I think that by organically growing your studio, you never lose focus of what that studio is. Sure, yeah. And, and then, then if you've worked with them for a long time prior, you have that. Or if they're just bought, yeah. like Ninja Theory was with Microsoft, then there is a, there's a presence there of like, well, they were just bought. And you don't know and what the relationship a, was prior. Yeah, and yeah. now this game's a slasher where it was a narrative game. And it's kind of like... Well, you would automatically assume, and almost rightfully so, that that was Microsoft's fault. Even if it Because they yeah. didn't have a relationship built. Yeah. And I think that that's important. And that's why I kind of went on a tangent there about how some game studios throughout time have made drastically different games throughout all their stuff. But then you know their intentions when they release a new game 
because you know that studio, you know the works they've had, and you know who they worked with. You know if yeah, it's, sure. if it's being choke-held by a studio or not. Like, I, would you say Horizon was choke-held by Gorilla? No, clearly Exactly, not, because yeah. you know Gorilla. Yeah. And you know that... And you still see you the through line of their kind of work. So, yeah, yeah, and with Sony. And yeah. you know that that's not something that would happen. You know Sony did not choke-hold them to make a third-person action-adventure game that had a female main character. You didn't say that's pandering. I, I, yeah, well, SJW like a stuff. good example, right? A, a good example that comes here and just thinking about something that people look at is that you have God of War, which is a quintessential PlayStation series. And the thing about God of War is that every God of War up until the newest one always had the through line of being a slasher game. They were hack and slash games that did have a focus on story, but the focus on story was kind of secondary to making sure that the game was huge and epic feeling with the, and the combat and the hack and slashness of it was all just so fun. Then you have a game like God of War 2018 that comes, and it, it is everything that's different about it. And it's Sony being like, well, you we're going to give you the creative freedom to make whatever changes you want to make with that game. And clearly we have a game that, Pretty much changes the God of War formula entirely. I think the point there, though, is you didn't have to have Sony say that to see it in the game. Exactly. And I, I should say that, if, if anything, I, if I was going to say, I don't think it's be necessarily because of Sony, at least directly. I think the reason I, there's a quality to Sony's games is that they have a tendency to let their people do the most they can with what they want. And that, that shines through with a feeling of little little friction between what the studio wants and what the owner slash publisher wants. And I think that that's the reason why, like, you know, one of the games I can think of with PlayStation that had drama, but it wasn't drama necessarily that we're aware of that we can tell was by Sony implicitly was Naughty Dog with Uncharted 4. Uncharted 4, it was a game that saw a much longer development time, primarily due to the fact that they had to kind of scrap the game and restart because of inner studio conflict. I would, I would say The Last of Us 2 could be a victim there as well, just based around the stuff around the game. I could see, and it would be incorrectly assumed this way, but I would assume, or I would see how you could assume that without any knowledge. Because at one point, I assumed it. It's like you could just assume these things about the game of like there's crunch in it. They're redoing the story. They're sure. introducing this character for this reason, sure, sure. which is an annoying aspect too when you think about it. And it's you, you almost can see a line there. And I think Naughty Dog is an interesting choice too because of Uncharted 4. And it kind of goes back to Last of Us 2. Their last two games at this particular Yeah, point. and Uncharted 4. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see organic growth or, uh, and that, you know, a company and you see them grow organically over 20 years versus a buyout that was made five years or four years ago, three years ago. Well, organic expansion makes a lot of sense too. And I guess this is probably my last thing on it Yeah, because ultimately organic growth gets you things like the last of us. If you remember, the last of us was made by the secondary uh, team at Naughty Dog and, it was them moving off and having a team that did not That's include Amy Straley Hennig. Was there. Yeah, you did not have Amy Hennig writing, and at that point in time, she was the lead writer for uh, Naughty Dog. Yeah. So you think about the fact that that was an organic growth of a secondary studio with an organic idea, and it brought out what many people, of course not everybody does, but what many people view to be a game of a generation. And it's a game that, just like you're talking about, you see the clear evolution despite the fact that they're heavily different. Like it, Uncharted and The Last of Us have tons and tons of differences. But you still see the DNA, yeah, and and that's yeah, that is different, and it's and because you have a like Naughty Dog, of course, made Crash Bandicoot one through three with Sony as a partner, but without being bought, 
Then yeah. they got bought, and then they made games that you can still see an evolution. And then you, Jack and Daxter, then you even and, within Jack and Daxter, you see the evolution that leads to Uncharted, and then Uncharted, you see the evolution that leads to The Last of Us. And who I made, think who that made that's Sly. I can't think. I, it's Sucker Punch. Me. Okay, that's what I thought. It's and, bothering and, me. Yeah, and that comes with the same thing. We know we see Sucker Punch make Sly one through three, and then we see Infamous one and two, uh, and and Second Son. We see three games there. And again, you see the evolution of certain things. Like story was always at the forefront, and they yeah. always had comic book like things. And then we see that go into a full comic book thing, and it and pivots. Then you see it go to but I guess what I like about that, Japan. and part of the reason I think I've always been so strongly behind Sony's back is that they've had so many studios they've worked with for a long time, even if they hadn't bought them, that you understand what you're getting out of them. Even going as far as like the Order eighteen eighty six with Ready at Dawn. I think the part of the reason is I played all of the order ga- all of the Ready at Dawn games that they had made for the PSP. What else have that they were made? fantastic? They made Daxter, which is one of the best oh, yeah. PSP games. That is the best PSP game. Uh, they game. also made God of War: Chains of Olympus and God of War: Ghost of Sparta, two very good God of War games, better than God of War: Ascension, which was made by the actual studio. I would I would almost argue Daxter is the best Jack and Daxter game. <laughs> wow, dude, it's a good I, game. I love it. Uh, so and so. I guess what I'm saying is seeing their DNA and going through, I knew what to expect from a Ready at Dawn game, in my opinion. So I, I, I like that. So when you look at that, that's I think that that's a good point. You see Sony owning studios and doing partnerships for so long that ultimately speaking – they get to become their own studio and their own relationship separately. And because of Microsoft taking a very different approach and doing partnerships and stuff, and then eventually having to come back and build new studios to handle Halo. And then you have to wonder, does that building of a new studio have an impact on it? You you also see them have to create an entire studio to be able to continue on with gears of war because they didn't own Epic clearly. Uh, So yeah, it is a difference. And I think that, there is a culture around each company that's very different. And I think that I respect Microsoft's culture in just having third-party relationships with people. And, of course, we've seen their third-party relationships go very far with Bethesda and letting Bethesda have things like mods and games and doing so without limits and pushing forward. So I think that Microsoft's acquisitions maybe make sense to the way they've always done things, even if they don't make sense to the way that I typically view acquisitions because I'm looking through the lens of one company and Microsoft is clearly a different company with different goals, different aspirations. And by nature of the fact that they're a more involved company within tech as a whole, maybe their relationships existed further. You know, you think about Ninja Theory and the fact that they did have games that released on 360 and clearly they had games that released on computer. So how much did they work with Microsoft? Maybe I'm seeing less than I thought, but it's just, um, I personally agree with this move and I think it's smart and we'll end with the fact that if you expect, and I think everybody kind of had that quick feeling that hit and I think it fleeted pretty quickly that Sony was going to make a massive acquisition as a response. I think this kind of shows that they're not. Yeah, this is kind of the proof in the pudding. And that they don't have intention to because it would be so unlike PlayStation. Speaking of pudding, if you love pudding, you can find more of it over at Triangle SQRD on Twitter. And uh, as Do we post pudding pics? No, we can, though. Yes, we, can. Uh, we posted Uncharted pics with uh, Nathan Fillion as the real Nathan Drake. Oh. Um, but anyways, that is where you can find us on Twitter, of course, twitter.com slash Triangle SQRD. And you can find us in video form Every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, noon central time over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Nartech. Coincidentally enough. Um, oh, my goodness. What is all this? I read that. But I'm saying we haven't given the community take yet. Oh, I know. I haven't done okay. yet. You're going out of order. No, You're I'm throwing not. me for a I'm, loop. I'm going a little out of order. Actually, no, I'm not. I always, I always shout out the links of the new community take, don't I? Oh, anyways, if I don't. <laughs> 
But speaking of communities, take you could uh, look at us down there in the description where our Discord is. You could join that. You could see it on Twitter. You can go to our Facebook group over at Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast on Facebook. And if you really, really love us, be sure to give us some ratings of any kind. You may not like us, hit that down like, down like, dislike. If you may like us, hit the dis. The up like. Hey, real quick before I forget. Oh, yeah. We have a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> because I have this forgotten. Is this mess. is our last episode for the, the Halloween set. No, this is our last episode, period. We're over. <laughs> I'm breaking up with you. We got the sponsor. We bounced, baby. All right, look. Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, Physical. I am giving this away. You have to listen to this episode to get this. So, guess what? It's sealed. sealed. Beautiful. So... If you want this and you want a chance to win it, I will do no social media prompts. You have to tweet us, Facebook us, anything. Come this into Discord, drop your it own in. Volition. Send us your Halloween pics of your costumes. If you didn't do a po- costume but did a party or something like that. It, well, it could be your favorite costume of all time that you've done. It has to be you. Send me sexy nurse pics of <laughs> Josh Drago. Fine, yeah. It Josh- has to be it has to be you have to be in a costume and you have to send us the pics. Josh Drago, I need you in a nurse outfit. With your God of War face paint on. Um, I need to see Sexy Nurse Kratos in the form of Josh Drago. Um, there you yeah, go. Like, you, like I said, you can find us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Nartech. Across any podcast service. If you're on a podcast service and you're like, huh, he said any, I can't find them. Let us know because we're on like 99.9 of them. If you find one and we're not on it, we'll get on it. It's that easy. Also... If you like the video, give us a like. If you dislike the video, give us a down like. And I'm just going to say down likes from now on. It's hilarious sounding. And if you truly like the content and you've been with us for a while, or if you're new and you just want to support us, go over to patreon.com slash nartech, where you could just give us a measly dollar a month to help support the cost of the set, the podcast fees that we have to endure for having subscription fees on RSS feeds and all kinds of other different things, as well as a custom case at the end of every quarter we have. And our next quarter will be in February. January, January first, yeah. Um, I, I've got to put out, and it's going to happen now. Uh, kind of, uh, that's what I'm moving them to the middle of the quarters, and I'm going to announce them to an extent. Uh, but yeah, you'll be able to choose one very soon if you're one of our patrons. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves and forget, I got the community's take. I'm not too far ahead of myself. You're too far. You're not reading my vibe. I, I don't trust I'm, you. I'm over here vibing. I'm not. I'm not smelling as, what you're stepping. As Rude Days said on Discord, he actually gave us a really, really good community take. What is your number one gaming regretted purchase? Ever. It could be anything related to gaming, and it's a purchase you regret the most. A game? Perhaps, yes. A peripheral. Maybe you bought a Turtle Beach headset one time. We know how that goes. You're filled with, you're filled with immediate immediate buyer's remorse the second you get home and you're like, well, this is a piece of plastic garbage. <laughs> is, that, is that a hit at Turtle Beach? It is, because Turtle Beach are garbage, and you know it. Maybe, maybe, maybe your regret is that you gave the show a dollar one time. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. If it is, be mean with it. I don't care. Like, Let us know something. Any criticism is good criticism, my dude. Uh, look, let me look. Maybe, maybe you bought... Never mind. I was going to be really mean there. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for coming to the show. If you're a patron... Stay around for the, the hilarious uh, live readings of all of your names, and we'll see you all. Stop laughing. We'll see you all next episode for 189. No, 187. I'm dyslexic. Thanks to our patrons. Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, 
Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean Moneo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B., and lastly, Richard Schaefer. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Thank you. No outward quip this week?